What's happening, weirdos? I'll tell you what's happening. Nine year anniversary. Holy shit. And what better way to celebrate our nine years? I can't believe it. When people ask me how long the podcast has been on, I usually say about three years. It's three times that. It's nine years. I'm so touched and honored that you guys are with me on this wonderful journey. This podcast has obviously been the most enriching and rewarding aspect of my work. It's so fun to check in with you guys Wednesdays and now Fridays as well with Val to read your messages on what the show means to you, uh, to share what I'm learning, um, to observe myself learning. I mean, every week I feel like there's a a micro change or, or some sort of lesson or enlightenment or it's wonderful and to share that with you and and to have you guys be a part of that i can't tell you how many times things and guests books you guys have recommended to me over socials has been so great and even back pre-cove when we got to do live you made it weird talking to you guys getting hugs in the line um and just hearing what the show means to you i assure you it means even more to me And I'm so grateful to uh, be able to share this journey with you guys. I know this is sort of saccharine, but I I do mean it very, very sincerely. So I sat down with my nine years way more famous friend, Kumail Nanjiani, who I'm so proud is, I mean, we've been friends, it's been 20 years. I can't believe I can say that. We've been pals for 20 years. Of course, we cover that a little bit, some of the nostalgia, and then a lot about Kumail's new Um, an exciting life. So I'm excited to share this with you. Obviously, the uh, best way to support the show, people ask about Patreons, people ask about, I don't know, somehow giving back. I always tell them, if you want to say thanks for the show, the best thing to do is to buy a Pete's Pick. I know that sounds maybe silly, but it is a very direct and effective way to support this show. And uh, I really appreciate it. So if if you're nasty, Go to charlottesweb.com and use the promo code KEEPITCRISPY19 at checkout for 10% off. Get yourself some calm CBD gummies. I have them here with me, obviously, in quarantine. And also save yourself some money by downloading and installing Honey into your browser. I mean, online shopping seems like the only shopping we do. I'm so happy to welcome our new sponsor, Honey. That's where they come in, online shopping. It's a free, free, free browser extension that scours the internet for promo codes and automatically applies them to the one available to you at checkout to the best one it'll prioritize and select the best one saving you the most money honey is basically your online shopping best friend all you need to do is get honey on your computer for free in two easy clicks by going to joinhoney.com slash weirdo that's joinhoney.com slash weirdo then When you're checking out at one of its over 30,000 supported sites, Honey will pop up, and all you have to do is click Apply Coupons, or Coupons, depending on what region of the country you're from. Then you wait a few seconds as Honey searches for coupons that uh, fit that site, and Honey finds working codes. It'll apply the best one to your cart. I recently used it. I was buying a small Bluetooth speaker, and it saved me around nine, ten bucks. Just like that, for doing nothing. For two clicks, I got something I already wanted and was already going to buy, and Honey helped me get it for less 
money. Honey has found over 17 million members and over saving them $2 billion, two bill in savings. Honey supports all kinds of retailers from tech and gaming sites to fashion, even food delivery. So if you have a computer, Honey should be on it. It's free and works with whatever browser you use. You can get it for free today. Go to joinhoney.com slash weirdo and show your support. Nine years in of this show. That's honey.com slash weirdo. All right, guys. Enjoy my nine years later chat with my dear friend, the hilarious and talented and wonderful Kumail Nanjiani. Here's to another nine years, guys. I'm excited. Thanks for being here. Get into it. <laughs> I don't know why it was funny that you repeated what I said. All right. It kind of sounded like you were telling me to go fuck myself. All right. I'll record it as a backup. All right. I guess I'll record it myself. Um, I guess Tony can take the day off. <laughs> uh, Tony, either mute yourself or um, something. Yes, it yes. Just, it just, oh, I can pin yep. his video. There we go. Because we're going to start. Um, um, in fact, we have started. You just got to hear how I reprimanded Tony for making the screen jump to a black screen, which was very jarring for me. And you can imagine how long it's going to take me to recover. <laughs> it's also, it said KL and neither of those stand for Tony. So what's his deal? Clatoni. Clatoni. <laughs> the K-, K is silent and the L is silent. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why this came to mind, but we had this joke. I, you know, I did these episodes of The Simpsons, and there, there was, there was, I was Dude, trying to. What a, what a dream, huh? It was a dream. It was incredible. I thought you were just going to call me out for uh, dropping something cool right off the gate about me. Well, <laughs> I would, but there are certain things that you can drop, and certainly writing Simpsons is one of those that you can bring up. It's sort of like you know. 127 hours when um, James Franco had to cut his arm off. Just talked about he, it last night. Really? He gets yeah. to tell that story, I think, uh, whatever he wants the rest of his life. Yes. That's how writing for Simpsons is. That's true. It's like Ryan Regan's I Walked on the Moon joke, remember? Uh, no, but I can imagine what it is. You get it. If you yeah. walked on the moon. Well, he, his bit is that you can listen to anyone tell any story and you just hang back. And just wait for a lull so you can... <laughs> I walked on the moon. <laughs> you just win. You just win yeah. the, the event. And we were talking about 127 hours last night. We were watching this really trippy movie called Samsara, which I recommend. Oh, I've seen Samsara. It's crazy, right? Yeah, I love it. I love it. We watched it in quarantine, so it was either last week or four months ago. It was really, how did you find it? I had never even heard of it. I, I, we, we YouTubed most beautiful movies. I haven't smoked weed in a really long time, but we're, we're back in LA and I, I had my weed and I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to smoke. And then we were like, let's watch something beautiful. And we were like, what is it? And it was all these terrible suggestions. And then the last one was Samsara and it really paid out for us. Except yeah. It's a little scary. Have you seen? Yeah, it is a little scary. It gets a little intense. That's the one that has, I've seen a bunch of these. That's the one that has like those, um, the farms and stuff, right? Is that the one? We didn't get to any farms because okay. right around the time that the guy started putting clay <laughs> on his face. <laughs> that guy's great. 
laughing and screaming so loud like the entire time it kept going i couldn't get over it <laughs> like, we were like that guy exists and then of course we googled everything about him because you know the, you, what you know for sure is that like, that's not like that's not like there's not like five guys doing that and that's the best one. <laughs> that's, that's that guy. For people who don't know, which is the majority, he's a guy who sits behind a table in a suit. He smears clay, sort of the color of his skin, all over his face, and then he. I manipulates and stretches and rips it off like a zombie ripping off his own flesh. He pokes eyes where his eyes would be, puts blood on it. He puts old hair on it so he looks like a decaying corpse. But then other times he looks kind of oddly beautiful and it's funny and it's haunting. Do you know, do you remember his name? He's French or something. I mean, I think if you look up Samsara face, <laughs> I think Samsara. It's Clayface. Some sorry yeah. Clayface. You you type in S A M and it's like Clayface. <laughs> we know what you're looking for. Uh, that's that guy's thing. He does like you could like he does like art installations where he's just like kind of doing that all day. Um, I I thought the same thing. I thought it was so beautiful and haunting. And it's it starts off as you said. He's just like sitting at a desk, like an office worker, and yeah, he's then, in a suit. Yes. It goes, it keeps going, and he keeps finding new things to do with it. Um, Kumail, I thought about that. He has to have a set list. He has to. <laughs> he has to. I, I, I was thinking about him as I was falling asleep, because I have a theory, if you don't want to dream about something, think about it a lot, and then your brain will be tired of thinking of it, and it'll want to dream something new. I've had that since I was a kid. It always works. And I'm like, I don't want to dream about that guy. So I'm going to think about him a lot. And as I'm thinking about him, I didn't get like super stoned. I was just a little stoned. And I was like, he has to know like, well, there's over the head, like old hair drop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I can't. Opener. <laughs> right, right, right. And you know, if it's not going well, I'll, I'll, this is the saver I'll use. And then. <laughs> he has a save line. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, and if they're real, if people start walking out and it's getting too dark, I'll do kind of like clowny face. Right. And then he has to have some awareness if he's doing it all day in an art installation, who's coming in, who's coming out. Because if someone's there a really long time, he's like, well, I can't do that again. Oh my God. Yeah. It's just like, to wait. Gonna, like a- <laughs> it's like doing a festival where you're like, okay, uh, well, that guy was. <laughs> That guy was there at the 10 a.m. show. Oh, my God. I know you're getting back into stand-up, and I'll, so I don't want to scare you awake because I want new Kumail bits. I really do. I miss that. But I had some rough gigs. They weren't that bad, but especially now that you're famous, like super famous, you'll get like weirder and weirder gigs. I am not at that level, so I'll get like – meaning – so I also have the added, like, and they don't really know who I am. Like, I've had things where it's like, it's your special surprise. And they have me, like, enter through the back. And I'm like, guys, I don't think anyone's going to care. And, like, I'm not being falsely modest. Like, they don't care. Like, you Are have you talking to. about, like, corporate shows? It's a corporate show. And then the thing that 
you'll see if you end up doing gigs like this, it's kind of hard to say no because they're good, good uh, work. Yeah. Like I had to do a show where it was an award show, or I should say I got to do a show. (laughs) Yeah. You do. It was, first of all, it was in Hawaii. It was outside. It was on a lawn. And I was like the super secret guest that would come out that nobody cared. And then I'd do 15 minutes and then they do 45 minutes of an award show of like corporate awards, like Silicon, like your show, like just like that show, like kind of like a dry, yeah. like remember in the pilot of Silicon where like Kid Rock is there for some reason? I was Kid Rock and yeah. I think they would have preferred Kid Rock. And then I do 15, an hour break, Another 15, oh. another half hour break, another 15. It's another- hard because after the first 15, you're like, oh, I know what's coming. And yeah. you're like, you have to do that again. again. <laughs> uh, those shows are so, so bad. You know what it is, is you start trying to bond with the, with the staff, with the wait staff. And you, and like I would, I would really try to like make a friend with a server or yeah. a bartender, somebody that like I could get a human connection with. It was, it was so weird. So if you, if you do, if you go back into stand up, I wonder would you be open to doing that? You're not going to be able to say no. Well, what I've done is so I did because of Silicon Valley. You know, we all get asked to do like sort of. And now the show's done, so we won't get asked as much, but like sort of these techie conference things, right? So it would be like a Yahoo event, but then also like huge companies that I had never heard of. And I found when you go, they know you because they all love the show, but they don't really want to hear you do stand-up because they think they're like kind of smarter than you. And so (laughs) them like not laughing is, is sort of like how they're getting the power back. So what I've started doing now that um, if I get an offer to like do stand up at a show, I'll be like, hey, instead, can we do like a fireside chat? And they get really excited because whoever is making the decision, like the CEO, whatever, will be like, "Okay, yeah, I'll interview him. And you do that. And it's way better because there's no pressure. You're just sitting there. They have questions and you kill way harder. At least for me, I kill way harder doing that than I would just doing stand up. Oh my God, that's brilliant. And then, because what I would do is I would get the CEO up on stage so I could talk to them. So right. I could get those, those I, not to say they're easy, but I can make fun of him of in a way that no one else can. Right. So even just pointing out like, you know, easy stuff, like who here is the worst? Like, I don't want to make you feel right. uncomfortable, but which of these salespeople is the worst or whatever it is. Right. That is they so love that. smart. Because but you then, that's the whole show. Yeah. That little piece, I do the whole like 45 minutes is that. Wow. That's so smart. It It helps though, if you're like Silicon Valley, I mean, that has to, that's like a phenomenon. That's like a thing. A whole, they have questions about it, yeah. They want to talk about it, yeah. It's, yeah. it's a it's a unique thing that you've transcended, which is now you've done so many things that they'll find at least one way in that everybody's interested in. And that's that's really cool. For me, I'm not like, what's it like to be famous? It's got to feel good to be like, I no matter who you are, chances are there's something I've done that you want to, that you're engaged with 
and therefore these interactions can be easier. Is that is that right? Yeah, yeah, I mean, sort of true, but I still, I mean, you know, I'm not really like crazy famous famous. Like, for instance, actually, it's kind of weird. So, you know, in the U.S., most cities I do get recognized very often, right? Uh, but we were, just before quarantine, we were in London for six months. And in London, like, they didn't get, they got Silicon Valley on, like, sky which very few people have like there everybody just nobody has cable they just have the normal stuff yeah i think crashing is on sky yeah and and it was a similar situation all hbo stuff is on sky and so very so there uh, i really i truly was not famous at all um and then it's you know oh god it's so gross anyway and then when i know what were you gonna say 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 (laughs) okay i mean it's gross it's really gross but i (laughs) realized i had just gotten used to not waiting like if you go to a restaurant you don't wait you know, like they're like, oh, yeah, OK, yeah, well, well, because especially in L.A. and New York, they have certain tables that they just like sit on that they that they don't release in case somebody shows up. So so I've just gotten used to not waiting. And then in London, I was just like a little pardon me saying I was a little bitch. I was just like, oh, God, oh, 10 minutes. Are you kidding me? Emily was like, hey, <laughs> you think you haven't changed, but uh, you have changed. But Kumail, isn't that it? Whatever, please speak to this. Don't let me speak to this. You speak to this. Like whatever you have, you acclimate. That's why you're telling the story oh. and you're worried that it maybe makes you sound less human. To me, that is the human condition. Whatever it is, you get used to it. And, and that's what's happening. For me, the best example of that, and I think about this every time, you know, obviously I love movies, TV shows, video games, whatever. So I always want to have like a really nice TV. And whenever I like buy, uh, you know, and this is like every five years, whatever, like whenever I get a new TV, I want to get the biggest, best one. And two days later, it's just your TV. Like it stops being dazzling anymore. Yeah, uh, I always think of that. Like you know, when you first put it on, you the first time you watch it, you're like, "Wow, that's amazing!" And then a couple of days later, you're just like, "Yeah." I mean, you just you just don't wait for restaurants anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I mean, well, we talk about this a lot on the podcast. It's called the hedonic treadmill. It's whatever mm-hmm. is special is no longer special once you've had it just a little bit. Well, like, I've been listening to Ramdas a bunch. Uh, you did not. And- yeah, I listened to Experiments in Truth and he talked about the hedonic treadmill. Kumail, you yeah. didn't think to shoot your homeboy who I think sent that to you a text? You, I, you have been, for a while, the unwitting participant in my statement that I say all the time, which is, I send it to everybody, no one listens to it, which is how I feel. I can't believe you listened. No, I listened and I wanted to talk to you about it in person and I figured we would do it whenever I did your podcast again. So I didn't want to like have that conversation before I started. So quarantine, obviously, you know, it's so many different weird things. I started, this is going to sound really weird. I started listening to it uh, when I work out. So I'll be like working out and instead of listening to music, I'll be listening to him. And so that contrast of doing like intense workout with how calm his voice is and what he's talking about 
I found it very, very therapeutic. And I, uh, it really, really helped me. It really helped my stress and anxiety levels at a time when, when I really needed it. Oh my God. I want to listen again because, you know, he says, it's really cool. He says like, he's like, just let these wash over you. You don't have to like actively understand yeah. everything I'm yeah. saying. Yeah. And so, so I want to listen again because the first time you're sort of like, you know, you don't know what it is you're listening to. You know, you like it, but a lot of it, I don't know how much I internalized or what, but I'm going to, but I'm going to listen to it again. It's like seven hours of stuff. I think. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, Kumail, this really is like, it feels like a mitzvah to me. It's like a happy occasion. <laughs> Because, I don't know, man, I'm trying to do better about not trying to proselytize, but what you're describing is what happened to me. Like, I was listening to it. I was like, I don't know how much of this I understand, but I know I really like it. He even says that. He's sort of like, I'm not telling you anything you don't already know, sort of intuitively, sort of in that, that mushroomy place. You know, when you're on mushrooms, you're sort of like, oh, I get it. You know what I mean? And he's mm -hmm. sort of giving... Is it, would you agree? I, I felt like he was giving language to that intuitive heart place that's hard to talk about. Yeah, and it's the place, it's not just hard to talk about. For me, sometimes it's hard to sit in it and it's hard for me to even know it's there until I, for me, a big, you know, I've had a lot of epiphanies in quarantine and one of them has been really that not being anxious requires effort. I always mm -hmm. thought like you feel how you feel and if you're nervous, you're nervous. I didn't realize that being calm requires intentionality and requires effort. And you have to like sort of take yourself to that place. Mm. Um, and I think he, he talks about he talks about that, too, I think, where he, uh, he you know, it, it takes a little bit of work to just sort of be. And then that contrast with me, you know, the reason I really like working out is it forces me to get out of my head in a way it's yeah. like all because if you're doing a heavy weight all you could do is focus on moving that weight so you're like truly you're truly within yourself in a way that's good like you're, you, you it, everything else falls away except for that effort um it, it's almost like 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 a really great meditation session so of like that yeah while listening to him was was very good and i want to i'm going to listen again I, oh, I think that's so great. I think that's so great. But of course, doing something like uh, lifting or we always talk about the free solo guy. When you mm -hmm. talk to him, he was very in his head. And then he kept doing these climbs and he sort of, he didn't intellectualize it. And I wouldn't want him to intellectualize it. But me sitting on the couch, I'm intellectualizing it. And I'm like, oh, it's the only time he can stop thinking. Because he mm -hmm. seemed a little spectrum-y. And I say that with love as someone who feels a little spectrum-y from time to time. Uh, but I was like, this shuts his brain off. So mm -hmm. you, I, I wonder if you think it's strange. I'm just telling you, I don't think it's strange at all that that's the point of yoga. Mm -hmm. Yoga was designed not as an exercise. I, and obviously, yoga means a bunch of things. I mean, in the, in the Western way, meaning the exercise yoga. Um, it's like, here's a pose that's so difficult to do. And if you can keep your breath calm while you're pretzeling, that's meditation. Mm -hmm. And that's why everybody feels so good at the end. And that's why I, I really don't like yoga classes where they're trying to just grind you. I'm like, the point is to maintain the breath, which is your point, which is, has to speak to your exercise life, which is 
staying equanimous, staying in a Zen place is how you're doing what the amazing things you're doing. I mean, if you'd speak to that. I think, you know, there's a point in it where he talks about he didn't use Novocaine. He didn't want Novocaine when he was getting dental work done. Yeah. Um, and I, this was before I started, do, you know, when I first started working out, I knew this was about a year and a half ago. I was like, okay, I knew, I was like, oh, this year I'm going to be in the best shape of my life, right? Um, and it's the same way that I knew. You knew me as a smoker when we first met. I know you've talked a lot about like watching me smoke right before getting on stage. And so nervous, by the way. So nervous. To tie in the other thing we're talking about Ooh. is like, I don't think you or I, either of us knew that there were mental and spiritual disciplines to try and stay calm and and your Novocaine thing, dude, I took a cold shower this morning because I saunaed and then I take a cold shower. And as I'm doing it, I always think of Ramdas saying like, can you just observe the pain? That's insane. Like I yeah. can't, I can't really do it for the whole time because my body will still shiver, but I'm like, it makes the story of the pain go away and it makes me just present to what is. That right. has to be what you're doing when you're lifting. Please keep going. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. So, um, uh, I had this, so, so I, but smoking, I knew, you know, I tried quitting a lot, many times, but there was one time where I was like, okay, that was my last cigarette. And it was, you know, I, I, I knew I quit. Same way with working out where I'd been trying to sort of get in this ideal shape I had in my head for decades. And then that one day I was like, oh, I'm going to be in the best shape of my life next year. Wow. For me, the big breakthrough with working out was as I was, as I started doing this training, I, I got a, a, a really, really great trainer. And the workouts were very, very painful. Physically, very, very, very painful. And my life is conditioned to avoid pain, right? I'm like, my whole life has been set up to not feel uncomfortable, to not feel pain. For me, the big switch happened when I was working out was like, oh, no, I have to lean into the pain. I have to want the pain. I have to change my relationship to pain. I can't like lean away from it. I have to lean into it. And that completely changed everything for me. Then I was like, okay, now I'm like chasing this feeling. And then in a way it's, it's, it's not, um, it obviously it hurts, but it's not necessarily, it's not, not pleasurable. I'm not saying pain becomes pleasure. That's not what I'm saying but it just becomes sort of something that's happening rather than something that you're like fully reacting to in that way. Mm. Um, and so with working out, that's what I found inadvertently that, that like chasing that pain was, uh, was very good for me. Um, not just in the body transformation, but also the rest of my life. Because when now, you know, when you're shooting, it's like 14, 15, 16 hour days, it's like really long days and you sort of start to, it can be painful, you know, but if you start to sort of be okay with that pain, then I think there's benefits beyond just the working out. I think it just changes, it changes your whole life. Yeah. Uh, it changes how you work. It changes how you sit with yourself. It it changes, it just sort of, I don't know. It, it was a big breakthrough for me. I remember specifically the day where I was like, oh no, this is the pain that I, this is the pain that I want. Wow. Um, but that to me sounds like you changed the story, right? You, yeah. you you had the story that pain should be avoided. Just like you had the story, I am a smoker. And then mm. all of a sudden you embodied a new story. You didn't just tell yourself a new story. You became a new story. 
and and then with working out, pain became the good thing. Yeah. Oh, I was going to say one more thing that you were talking about. Yeah. So when I first started training with this guy, and this guy's a bodybuilder, right? He was like, the most important thing is the mind-muscle connection. He's like, you're not, he said, the weight, you're not trying, the weight is a tool. You're not using, you, the point is not to lift the weight. The point is to, um, is to uh, you know, work your muscle, right? So that was a big thing. I'm not trying to move it from here to here. I'm trying to work the muscle. It's a mind-muscle connection, which is you have to feel literally every fiber in the muscle contracting. And I'd never done that. And now I have it pretty good for most of my body. Like I can like really feel the muscle working. And to me, that is also like sort of being in the body rather than being in the head. That's uh, right. That's embodiment. He, that's, that's a type of meditation uh, look, this is the only way I'll be able to relate to what you're talking about because I don't work out, obviously. But like, <laughs> I do body scans where you where you yeah. send the focus of your attention to your your toes and your feet and your joints, and you and you sort of crawl up like the T1000, like liquid metal, just sort of crawl up your body. And at the end of it, the peace and the connectedness that you feel. So, dude. That's so helpful because one of the things that I hate about working out is that people are just trying to get away from it. Like yeah. it's all about getting it done. There's no mindfulness. That's what I do like about yoga. At least you have somebody saying like, breathe into it. Can you soften? Can you bend? You know, like you're, you're trying to get your brain to communicate with the pain and you're yeah. saying you do that with lifting. Yeah, definitely. Definitely do that with lifting. And the other thing I found, so then when I was started shooting the movie, the guy who was our trainer was, was also really, really great, but in a different way. You know, he was very much about like balance and making sure the muscles are all, um, you know, that the back's not stronger than the chest, that kind of stuff. And he was saying, you know, when you have muscle pain, that muscle, there's nothing wrong with that muscle. Like that muscle, if you like cut that muscle out and a muscle that doesn't have pain, there would be zero difference. The difference is that the neurons, your brain is without realizing always tensing that. So when you're like trying to relieve pain in a muscle, you're not, there's nothing generally unless there's an actual muscle tear. All you're trying to do is shut your brain off from always like tensing that muscle. That's why they say you carry tension in your shoulders and in your glutes or wherever you carry it. That's all it is. And, and for me, you know, as someone who had been completely out of touch with his own body, I'd been out of touch with my own body my whole life, realizing that it was all sort of one thing. You know, I, I was really raised to be like, there's the mind and soul, and then there's the body and they're different. And for me, it's really been realizing that it's all one thing, that it's all supposed to kind of work together. Um, and, and my enemy definitely has been my head my whole life. It's just the overthinking that obviously all of us have, have to deal with. Yeah, but it's interesting because if you, I, I talked to your friend Tan about this, Tan France, yeah. about, I was like, we talked a little bit about you just because we have you in common. And I was like, like, here's my, my grand confession. If I, like designing a video game avatar, could adjust the levels on me, I would slide the, 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 like the scale thing at a doctor's scale. I'd slide that dial towards you, right? 
So <laughs> why don't I? And there's a lot of more interesting things than just I don't like pain. There's a certain green lighting of like, and you know this from being in the comedy world, let's look at like, will I still be funny? Will I still be relatable? That is a self-love issue. I really think it is. I think Pete, so talk about the brain, learned that it was safer to look soft and therefore gentle and then was not threatening and then could sort of like a chameleon vanish if things ever got tense or uncomfortable and he could like sort of disappear because he can't handle reality. Whereas like the, the you're experiencing this. I'm watching you. I've known you for 20 years. You now enter a room. People, I made a joke. I want to see your shoulders. Like people are looking. Can you talk about the, the mental block of, or if that makes any sense to you, it's like, I think it's a self-love issue. And I think I have to sort of work on that because I'm like working out that's for the beautiful people. And I'm a funny person. Well, I think, you know, it really is priorities. I think, um, I don't think you need to work out and look a certain way unless you really want to, unless that's, that's something that's important to you. I feel honestly, you know, it's interesting. It's a very complicated issue. Uh, because I wanted to look a certain way, right? For me, it was definitely an aesthetic thing that I wanted to do. And I don't think that that's the healthy way to approach it. The healthy way to approach it would have been, I want to be healthy. Um, I want to be able to, I want to have higher stamina. I I want to have my blood pressure lower. I want to be less anxious, all that stuff. And by the way, working out a lot has been really good for my anxiety and my sleep in, in a way that I had not anticipated. Oh, I'm sure. But, but I did an outside-in thing. I was like, I want to look a certain way. So in some ways, my reasons were very, very shallow. I don't feel any different as a person. I don't walk through the world any differently. I don't interact with people any differently. The difference in my life that I felt is less anxiety uh, sleep is better. Uh, I'm more in touch with my body. There are negatives to it. The negatives to it are, uh, I got, a, I have gotten a little obsessed with how I look, you know, uh, this is interesting. So I was, I don't know if you've talked about this when I was, when I was like a little baby, I was like, super cute. Like if you see a picture of me at the age of two, three, four, five, like seriously, I was like, like I would go to a store and people would be like, this baby's so cute. I'm going to kidnap this baby. Like I remember a world where I was like, I'm too beautiful for this world. Like not in an ego way, but in a, like people like, want to steal me because they want to look at this face. I was adorable until I hit like eight and then it turned so quickly and I didn't realize it. You know, I didn't realize it until it was like one day I was like, you know what I haven't heard in a while? People haven't threatened to kidnap me because of how cute I am. And then I looked in the mirror and it was just like a huge head, really long neck, no shoulders, somehow three Adam's apples. I was like, oh no, what happened? <laughs> so I had this I had this experience of going from like being very, very... I remember being a kid, being cute, being important to me. And then suddenly I wasn't cute. And then that was important to me. I became like very, I felt myself, I thought I was very ugly, probably from the age of 10 to early 20s. You know, I thought I was like very, very ugly. 
like when I was 12 or 13, I wouldn't like go to the store because I was like, they're not going to sell me stuff because they'll think I'm too ugly. So it, it became <laughs> oh like, Oh my God. Yeah. Camille, was, that's heartbreaking. It was really brutal. Right. And yes. so it's interesting because I had to really in my early twenties do some work to be like, okay, the way I look, the way you look is not important. I had to change my relationship with how I look. And that's how I was for like 15 years. I felt like, you know, it was always a work in progress, but I'd done a pretty good job of being not so obsessed with how I look. And now in my 40s, I've had to sort of go back to that. In a way, I've like completely backslid, right? So there's a lot of positives that have come from this, like confidence, belief in myself. I did something that, you know, I'm proud of what I did. But now I'm sort of back to how I was in my late teens where I really, you know, I'm, I've said this before, I feel like I'm afraid I'm going to sneeze and it's all going to disappear. So, so, so I do have my relationship with it uh, in some ways is not completely healthy. I, 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 I have become a little bit obsessed with like looking at, you know, you look at the abs and you're like, wait, is that one? Do I need to do? Here's a weird thing. It's, I'm trying to work on it, but when I look in the mirror without a shirt, my first is like, wow, I look great. And in two seconds, I see my body change. I see it change. Mm. And then I just see the flaws. I've gotten better at it. I, even as I'm saying it out loud, I'm like, okay, that's not an experience I've had in the last last couple months or so but that was definitely one of the weird things i was like this is and then emily said this emily was like because i would talk to emily about this she's like do this look in the mirror and pretend it's someone else's body how do you feel about it and that weirdly helped me be a little less calm about it wow that's so interesting and again i'm I'm, I, i hope it doesn't feel forced this is a spiritual principle. It's the idea of the world is a projection of your mind. It's also a psychological principle. Oh, yeah. My God. But the, the, the difference is the spiritual people will say, no, that's a reality. No one sees anything. They only see a projection. You and I have never met. You've never met anybody. We're only seeing a, a projection of our emotions, our state, our, our thoughts out writ large. That's why I really liked it. Deepak Chopra, I saw retweeted somebody that was talking shit to him and he just wrote, I am your reflection. And I was like, (laughs) that is, that's what it is. Like if you, when someone hates you, they have hate in them. When someone loves you, they have love in them. Oh, for sure. And that's why Byron Katie, this great teacher of mine, she says, when someone comes up to me and is like, oh, I love you so much. I love you so much. She's happy because she, not because of the ego rub, but because she knows that means they are loving. and, And that's, and that's a beautiful thing. But like, yeah, if I true. look in the mirror, last night, Kumail, for real, I looked in the mirror. And again, I was only a little bit stoned. I haven't been stoned in months. And it was a very f- lovely feeling. In fact, I think that's how weed should be. Always with huge breaks, because that's when it's special and beautiful. Something Emily said to me, actually, she was like, it should be a treat. It should be like, it should be like you get a cookie because you did a good thing. Um, she said that to me years ago and I'm still thinking about it. She's such a genius. I love her. So anyway, I'm looking in the mirror and I, Kumail, I was like, I, it was like looking at somebody else. I was like, look at this beautiful baby. Yeah, yeah. I had such 
And it was because so much had like sort of softened and loosened. Whereas yeah. like, if you get me pinched, if you get me scared about work, about money, about this, about that, I'll look in the mirror and I'll see an unlovable, tense, doughy, unchiseled. Whereas there are times I look at me and I'm like, it's like goddamn Paddington Bear. Everybody wants to hug this guy. Yeah. So, I, I, t- so when you say that, no matter what you do to your body, you're still, you're still in the human predicament. And you know what that's called? No joke, samsara. This is, this, it's a Buddhist term. It's the, wheel wow. of, it's the wheel of samsara. You'll sometimes hear Ramdas say it. I always thought I he have. was saying samsara because he's from Boston. Uh-huh. So I thought he was saying that's why we're, we're all in this samsara. <laughs> I was like, okay, I think I hear you. But he yeah. means the, the never-ending no matter where you go, there you are sort of thing. So even though we're in these different positions, it's the same thing. We're, we're looking at a projection of our inner state. It's as above, so below, as inside, so outside. That's why when you're in love, you go around and everything is fucking crazy. Amazing right. and beautiful. What changed? That's why when I watch a bad movie with Val, it's not a bad movie. We watched Why Him, the James Franco it's not a good movie, I don't think. Walter White? Yeah, and Walter White. And we sat on the couch and we loved it. Don't listen to us. We have love. We have love. Yeah. <laughs> Go talk to a film critic, I, yeah. not us. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, it's been interesting in quarantine. And I want to say, you know, both of us are in a terribly, um, we're in a position of privilege. We have homes, we have families. We, we you know, I, I know a lot of people are having a, a tough time with it. it is, it's it's really obviously very very devastating. I have noticed in quarantine since I'm mostly alone or with Emily, um, exactly what you're saying. Uh, you really are sort of forced to sit with yourself. And I realize, you know, in LA especially, you're always like going to the next thing. What's the next thing? What's the next thing? Not just that day, but like career wise too. Like, what's the next job? What's the next job? What am I going to do? What's going to happen in like two months? You know. So having to like sort of sit with yourself and really um, it's that samsara thing, I guess. I've realized that so much of how I feel is under my control. I can, I can affect it and change it in a good way Mm. Um, just by sort of feeling it. Like I would have full days where I would just be in a bad mood because I was sad uh, or scared about something and I just never put a label to it and I never like understood it. And That's now right. just like saying it out loud, saying it to Emily, I think, you know, you so much of, I think especially men are, are sort of taught to not uh, communicate their emotions or not even feel them. Um, that's right. And that's been, that's been really, I've also, I have been, I've been doing mindfulness meditation 10 minutes every day. And then some, you know, this is a weird cycle. So I'll be doing it for a few days and I'll feel great. I'll feel great. And then one day I'm like, Oh, I already feel great. I don't need to meditate. And then three or four days will go by and then I'll be like, I don't feel so great. Is it like, what is it? Is it that is it that I'm not meditating so I don't feel great or is it that I'm just not feeling great and and I, I can't quite figure it out. I think the solution is just meditate every day. No, it's it's so brilliant what you're saying. It's, it's the fact that we're in the system 
where there's time delays. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. The, it came to mind, there's a Chinese proverb that says, if a couple has a fight in the morning, they should ask, what did we have for dinner last night? Yes. And I'm like, that is it. It's yeah. like, sometimes when I want to, my cheat food is always pizza. I'm like, if you want to eat a pizza, Lara Bites always used to say to me, she's like, play out the tape. It's not just the pizza. It's the next morning where, like, mm-hmm. for some reason, I can't breathe so good. I'm irritable. Yeah. And I think, especially for men, see, here you are becoming an embodied, mindful, or, or more embodied and more mindful. And you're noticing all of these things. And, like, the, the uh, sorry, you made me think so many things. Richard Rohr, one of my teachers, was like, the only way to pray well is to pray every day. He means meditate. He means what you're doing. That's right. I mean, that's so true because what I find is, you know, if I can't sleep at night, if I have been meditating, I have access to relaxing myself way, way easier than I do if I haven't. It's like a practice. It is a practice. It's a practice. It's, and it has to feel similar to working out. I'm going to tell this to you and, and tell me what it makes you think. I say it all the time. It's in Ramdas has this book about meditation and it has all these quotes in it. And so I don't remember who the quote is, but it's very old. And it says, when you're doing a task, one tenth of the task is the task. So for you, it's driving with Emily to, to the West side and nine tenths of the task is not losing your center. So doesn't that sound like, yeah, the, the weight is the tool and what you're doing is your karma. It's, it's what's unfolding. It's action. But the point of life is how we work with resistance. Tell me if that doesn't sound exactly like what you do. Yeah, no, that's, that's absolutely exactly right. And this is going to sound very, very judgmental uh, <laughs> because it is. But when I used to go to the gym, now I just work out at home because of the pandemic. There was always like, you know, there's always those guys who are like lifting really heavy weights, but you could see that they're not doing anything. They're cheating. They're being loud. They want to like make a big show of it. And I'm like, you're not doing anything right now. Right. It's always the guys I, you know, and I'm really, I do look at everybody working out. <laughs> it's always the guys who are doing like very specific exercises with like little weights, but like really intense focus and concentration. Those are the guys I always look at to be like, okay, that's the way to do it. You know, it's so, no so- ego. Yeah. No, Kumail, I, I didn't mean to interrupt. I just said precisely. That's I'm it. Just, That's it. I, yeah. I'm agreeing with you so hard. I always think of Mr. Rogers. I know this, Mr. Rogers it was never like a yeah. symbol of fitness necessarily, but he was. He swam a mm-hmm. mile every day. So when they did that profile on him, the guy you know shadowed him for a couple of days, and he said of his swimming that it was no rush. He was in no rush. And I was like, that's working out and that's life. There's people, I, I even know what you mean by cheating. They're, they're lifting off the ground or they're, 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 yeah. they're shifting their body weight. I, I even know what bad yeah. form is and I've barely been to gyms. That's like life. People have bad form in life. People are rushed. They're not doing it. They're doing it just to get gains. <laughs> I just learned that term, but it's like, <sighs> It's like, if you can be present just in the act of it, I I, I wanted to ask you about like, 
in Mr. Rogers' case, feeling the water, and I, I do this when I'm swimming, it can be the most meditative thing. Just this stroke, just this kick, just this movement, that's nirvana. That's freedom. That's paradise. Yeah. Like you're there. You're not like when I'm done, I'll get the endorphin rush. You might no. as well just, just go do drugs if that's what you want to do. Like if you just want to feel good, enjoy the the process of what you're doing. Right. And, you know, when I'm working out, like if I'm doing a really heavy weight, now I'm doing it on my own back here. Emily's not here. There's nobody to help me. And I still want to do a heavy weight. If I lose focus or concentration, if I'm like, if for a second I'm like, oh, I, I don't think I could do this, I'm actually putting myself in danger. I'm putting myself in physical danger. Yeah. So the practice of working out wow. on my own is having to shut those, those thoughts off or actually just like observing them and dismissing them, right? You know, whenever I've, I've sort of become this person who like tells people to do mindfulness meditation and they're always <laughs> like, I don't know if I'm good at it. I don't know how to do it. I'm like, well, this really, you just kind of do it. Don't judge yourself. If you, whatever you think of as a good or a bad session, kind of doesn't matter. You have to like take that off. And so it's sort of similar when I'm working out. It's not that feeling of, I can do this. I'm going to do this. It's not like aggro in that way. It's just more being present and, and sort of like observing those negative things and not letting them really affect you. Uh, don't, don't let them tell the story. They're it's not, a release. Yeah. It's not, yeah. it's, it's like a, it's like a, it's like a subtraction of something rather than an addition of something. That's exactly what spirituality is. I'm so excited. It's not, <laughs> it's not learning something. It's unlearning something. Right. Like not believing in God is a great start. How about believing in nothing, including your own thoughts? That's the goal. You know what I mean? Like it's, yeah. it's, it's like letting go of all concept is where yeah. spiritual truth is not just losing your church that you grew up in and losing the book or the, or the practice or whatever it is. I, like it's so much more radical than that. When you look at the true masters, they're, they're yeah. empty. They're, they're, there's an expression like hollow bamboo. If you ever want to meditate on a mantra in English, just say like hollow bamboo, like hollow bamboo. It is an image that will make you empty and will I bring mean, you to that limitless place. I mean, that's, that's such a great, it's such a great feeling to feel empty like that. And, you know, you just get like little snippets of it here and there, or I never used to do this, but now after I work out, I'll make lunch and then I'll, yeah, this is a mix of <laughs> maybe beautiful and gross. I'll have my lunch and then I'll make my like protein shake, which I really love. It's yeah. got like fruit in it. And, you know, I just like really love it. And I just sit and I like, stare outside the window i don't have my phone on me and i feel that's when i feel like the most empty because i'm tired from the workout i just had a very healthy meal that i really enjoyed and there's like no place i have to be it just feels really good the unlearning thing is also interesting because i had this other experience so when i was doing this movie um you know, uh, I had to learn how to like stage fight. I'd never done, I've never done dance or karate or, or kung fu or any martial arts, right? And when you're learning for the stage, it really is more like a dance slash martial arts. You're not really learning how to fight. You're learning to sort of move in a certain way that looks cool, you know? Yeah. And so I had this dance teacher slash martial arts teacher 
And he would always, he would be like, okay, just um, get on the floor and crawl. And you get on the floor and you start crawling and you're sort of like, I was like, wait, I don't know what hand to move. It's like, do I move it together separate? He's like, see, when you were a baby, you knew how to do this. And then over years, you have unlearned how to be in your body. Mm. So he's like, a big part of this is just unlearning, like turning those things off in your head and just like really being there and not like thinking about it so much. We would also do these things. Some of it's more specific and technical, but we would do these things where he would like throw tennis balls at me and I had to catch them without looking. Wow. And you would think you're like, scientifically, this is impossible. I don't, I don't, I'm, I can't catch these balls. I literally cannot see them. Mm. And then you do it long enough and he's like, just feel it. Don't just feel it. Just, just, just trust it. Whoa. And then every now and then you get into a zone and you know, you're going to catch the ball before he throws it. You just know that it's going to, and you never look and you just catch these balls. But again, there's like those, every session it would take me, I mean, these sessions were long. They were like three hours. It would take me like an hour, hour and a half to get to the place where I was like physically tired enough or whatever it was, whatever happened where I could then, catch the balls without looking and crawl on the floor without thinking. Wow. Uh, It's just so much that we've like, yeah, all these things we put in our head. Story of so many stories, what pain is, what crawling is. And, and it's funny, not only do babies know how to crawl, but they know how to be blissful. It's like you, when you were little, they know how to be beautiful. They know how to be adored. They know how to be free. That's why, again, sorry, I hope it's not forced, but it's like so many of the mystical traditions are trying to push you back to a childlike state before you remember. I remember what it was like being a kid and being like, what are grownups doing? Because they're all putting on a show for each other. And yeah. That's straight Ramdas. It's like, I'll pretend you are who you think you are if you pretend I am who I think I am. And this is the conspiracy that we've all entered into. So many I know. Things. So How many exhausting. <laughs> That's what it is. Like, it's so funny. When you were talking, I was like, putting this stuff down, it's not like, do you want to be like a spiritual person or do you want to be like a materialist person? It's like, do you want to like put some of this shit down yeah. Like meditation and mindfulness sounds so fucking stupid, but freedom and 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 being liberated and and being empty, not having the answers but being empty so you can be receptive to what is if it's Mr. Rogers swimming or you not hurting yourself by dropping negative thoughts and just observing them instead of letting them define you. It's really powerful stuff. The, the, you're going to it might sound like a joke but the way that you seek out heavy resistance so you can test whether or not you can mentally stay spacious is literally, I'm in a really great place with my parents in large part because of uh, Byron Katie and her work um, and some of the investigation I've done on my own thoughts and my own stories. But still when I am feeling very blissful, I'll call them to go like, stay present here. It's easy to stay present with you right now. It's easy to stay present with Val. But the point of life is to go like, that's me going in the, in the garage and lifting weights as I'm like, great. Because you know what? 
You know what, Camille? <laughs> when I'm dying, I'm literally going to be trying. I don't. I won't be able to tell you how I do, but I'm going to be trying to stay present. We're, we all have this story of what death is like. Oh, it's horrible. It's cold. It's this. It's, it's this big. It's doing a cannonball into the void. It's so frightening. But we don't know. This isn't just blind optimism. I'm saying, can you experience it for what it is? And that is is when I go. Okay, I have to go to the DMV. Can I stay in my breath? Can I stay in love with life? Can I say yes to this? Wait. Everything is how you deal I with mean, that, that's exactly right. It's the waiting thing. You know, I've had a couple of occasions recently where I've had to like wait for something. And I'm, you know, uh, you know, I'm like sort of terrified of being outside these days. I'm like extremely careful. But there have been a couple of situations where I've had to go outside and wait for stuff. And that can be very, very stressful for me. But I've had this thing where I'm like, I'm just going to stand here. I'm not going to look at my phone. I'm going to like breathe, focus on my breath. And I'm going to, I'm going to like enjoy this wait. I'm going to enjoy this moment of quiet where I'm not supposed to be anywhere. I'm exactly where I need to be. And and, and I'm just going to like be here until I, I don't have to be here anymore. And it's, it works every single time so far, like every single time. Cause I'm usually always like, Oh my God, just wait. As I was saying, you know, waiting in yeah. line at restaurants. And now I'm like, just, just, just let it go. Just, just, just be here. And, and it really, it really works. Um, you know, I, I don't want to portray myself as being this like enlightened being or anything like that. I really am not. And it's still something I'm working towards. I certainly, certainly, certainly still deal with a lot of anxiety, especially the world uh, as it is these days. Um, so I, I have a lot of struggle with that. I really, really, really do. But I do have these little moments uh, of surrender that I have never had before. Yeah, I hear that. And if you're like me and you dig into the discomfort when you're waiting for a table, it's embarrassing, man. <laughs> it's so it, embarrassing. It takes, it, takes, <laughs> it takes courage to really dig into what's happening. Because for me it almost always goes to mommy won't pick me up. It's not a mater d' in a restaurant. It's not your, your coworkers or your writers or whatever. It's these archetypal base desires for love, fear of pain, fear of rejection. And really, we're dealing with like, are you what you need? Is what you need inside of you or is what you need outside of you? If I'm depressed and anxious, it's because I was letting my animal, and I say that with love, it's not to dismiss it. I just mean this beautiful evolutionary part of the mammalarian chain. I let that get habituated to looking at my phone too much. I'm looking Mm -hmm. at Instagram messages. I'm looking at Facebook. I'm seeing how many views something got or whatever it is. And all of that, if there's anything dangerous about phones or if maybe the most dangerous thing is that it perpetuates the idea that all the love you need is not inside you. It's out there. So of yeah. course you're, this is something Val helped me realize. Of course you're anxious when you see strange new people or you're at a party, you've given them the power to make you feel good or to make you feel bad. And even somebody saying, we don't have a table for you, which by the way, 
happens to me too. Emily, uh, Emily <laughs> Valerie and I laughed about the times that we've tried. Would you make an exception <laughs> for the, uh, Val's pretending to be my assistant. Would you make oh! an exception for the uh, star of HBO's Crashing? Oh! And it doesn't work? It's the worst. You need to, this again, and now I'm using the word wait, wait, W-E-I-G-H-T. That, let's, let's, I want to hear what you have to think about this because it has to do with resistance. It has to do with exercise and it has to do with what we're talking about. It's the shift, and this is Byron Katie again, life happens for me, not to me. That shift, this, this weight is happening, this pain of your lift is happening for me, not mm. to me. So I was in some serious traffic coming from up north, and I just had to go, this is oh. for me. This is mm. for me. And I sat yeah. there, and you start going like, what are you waiting for? Oh, I'm going right. to get home. I'm going right. to sit on the couch. Oh, finally, right. Lila will be asleep. Finally, we'll get to watch TV. You really, are you so fucking stupid? I'm talking to myself. That you think it's, it's when you hear the of Netflix that you can finally be happy. Right. Like, get out of your own way. Yeah. And even Lila's crying or, or my hunger or the traffic, or in your case, I have to imagine 3,000 pounds is happening for you. Yes, exactly. You speak to that. Is, that. is that in line with how you shape your reality more? I try to, you know. It, it, honestly, now, again, position of privilege, but because of quarantine, we've been, we're home a lot, a lot, a lot, all the time. And so if we go on a drive outside, which we do every now and then, you know, so every Friday, we, we cook every, we, we sort of, I've, I've found a lot of uh, comfort in ritual and schedule uh, during this time. So all week we cook breakfast, lunch, dinner, pretty healthy. And then on Friday nights we get takeout, right? And that's like sort of our date night. So when we drive for that, um, there's usually traffic because we'll go at 5, 5.30. And it used to really annoy me. But now I look and the world looks so beautiful just because I don't get to see it that much. You know, I yeah, get to yeah. see it with new eyes. That I really, de- really enjoyed now sitting in traffic, looking around. I mean, you don't, I don't see other people anymore at all. So I like looking at people, seeing what they're doing, seeing, you know, just the trees and the world and the LA is so specific. You know, when I first visited LA in like 2005 or whatever, I was like, Oh, what a weird place. It's like an alien landscape. It's like palm (laughs) trees and this Spanish architecture. And then over the years, you sort of just get used to it. You don't like see it anymore. So now I'm like seeing it again and I find it really, really beautiful. I really like sort of just sitting around and looking at the world now. And it's sort of like, yeah, this is happening for me. This is not happening yeah. to me. I hope I'm able to keep some of these things with me as as hopefully the, the world returns. Um, I certainly want to. I, I think uh, that there are a lot of little like things I've realized about myself and the world that – ultimately have been very positive for me and, and for my relationship with Emily as well. Um, and I, and I, and I hope I don't get them lost again in the, uh, you know, in the hustle bustle of trying to get somewhere so you can hear that Netflix ding. Yeah, dude. And you know what? I, I'm not saying this to you. I'm saying this to me because it, it's not my place to say it to you. I will. I, today I will. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. There's, there's, there's something beautiful in saying like, Sharon Salzberg taught me this. She's a Buddhist teacher. It's the return. Spirituality is the return. It's not never losing. It's the coming back. So when you meditate and you get lost in your train of thought, that me- meditation is the moment when you notice and you come back. Right. So what I try to do, right. and I'm not making this up again, so much of this is Byron Katie, it's other teachers as well, is you use when you're annoyed, it's not a flaw in the system. Just like you're noticing having a body isn't a flaw in your spiritual life or your or your mind life. It's it's part of it. Like when you're making that smoothie and you've used this instrument that you've been given that informs your spiritual reality. You know what I mean? None of this is a mistake, including when we step off the path. There is no off the path. Anybody worth their salt is going to tell you that it's all in the game, that bad meditation is meditation, good meditation is meditation, yeah, and life right. is life. And, and when you and I are at a restaurant and I'm and it's 2015 and I'm going crashing. No, it was a TV show and I'm, and I'm trying to get a table. Um, that <laughs> that is the little reminder in my pocket. It's the it's the vibration going. You've lost it. It's happening for me. Mm. Illusion washing over me is for me because dude. It is a practice in the same way, the same laws and principles of your body apply to your inner life. That's insane. It's when you notice that the ocean is how you feel. The rain is how you feel. The, the solar system is how we feel. This death and rebirth, the light and the dark, that that's mirrored inside is writ large in the physical universe. These are these clues that you're not a stranger here that you're part of a thing that's thinging itself. And there's only really one way that it thinks itself and it's lawful and it's confusing and it's not for us to understand, but you're at home. Like that's sort of the point of all of this discussion. Yeah. Uh, speaking I, of which. That's a very nice way to put it. Sorry, I get I get chatty when when the coffee. No, no, no. I think that's good. Yeah, I haven't. Yeah, I mean, you know, I we had this thing. So we 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 saw each other out of town, um, and what we would do there was at night, Emily and I would just like go outside and literally just look at the stars for an hour and talk. Yeah, and then we were like, why don't we do this at home? You know, why don't we just do it at home? And, and really looking at the stars for me is sort of that I feel so like small and big at the same time where it's, it's like instant perspective, but not in a way that makes me feel insignificant or significant. It just makes me feel like part of something huge that's, That's yeah, it's, it's hard to put into word. uh, It's hard for me to put into words how, how it makes me feel because Nothing else makes me feel the way looking at stars does, you know, just the thought that like some of these are already dead now. And some of them, I was like the star, the light that's leaving that star at this moment, when it gets here, what's the world going to be like then? Is there going to be anything around? Just like, it just makes the whole system feel a lot, just a lot bigger and, and, and stranger. But see, you're so right on for, for where I'm sitting is that like 
if you're saying if you're speaking in paradoxes, that's how I think it's a clue that you're you're on the money when it comes to like the great mystery, meaning you feel bigger and smaller. Yeah. So when we were watching Samsara, it starts with a volcano erupting and it's just this mm-hmm. endless smoke. And mm-hmm. I go, that's us. We're a speck of dust in that plume of smoke. And it's just, and every, every speck of that dust is, a, is another th- billion universes. And it's just this undulating smoke. And that's what all of reality is. And I was like, wow, we're so small. And then I was like, and yet, we are connected to the only thing that's happening, which is what Ramdas and I w- would call awareness. It's like, even though you're so small, you're also all of it. You know what I mean? You're yeah. also, the only right. thing that's happening right. is awareness manifesting. And Amy Schumer, I watched Expecting Amy, I thought it was fantastic. And she talked about her baby um, pressing his head against her stomach. And she's like, this is the first time I felt really, really connected. And then she goes, which is weird because he's inside me. And I was like, that is the spiritual plight in a nutshell or the, the human plight in a nutshell is we are baked in. We're in the womb of the mystery. And yet right. we still sometimes have to push our head up against its edges, right. begging it to touch our head so we can feel that connection. Right. Even though you couldn't be more baked into the process if you right. tried, still, and now we're really in paradox, you're inside of it, yet we still have to push up against the wall of it and hope that it touches us, even though it is us. We're literally breathing its air and eating its food. It's like your old bit, I'll have what she's having. <laughs> we've, put up, we've put up so many like rules and walls and it's uh yeah it's you know i, I i'm definitely uh i don't know i'm trying to figure out my relationship to to all this stuff but i i i, I will say those the there has i have felt freedom in being stuck in the house with just myself and emily in a way that I hadn't before. But also, listen, I'm all out of epiphanies and I'm ready for the world to return. (laughs) I've learned my lesson. I've got everything. Let's go. You know, what's interesting is your brain does it too. You know, one of the things that meditating can do, you're not doing anything, but you're getting out of the way for the brain to rewire itself, right? And, and, you know, the, the religious traditions would call that like grace or they would call it a blessing. But really, there is a, there's obviously a neurological and a scientific component to that is you're not thinking so the brain can sort of idle and, and repair itself and, and, and increase the potential for new connections and new ways of seeing the world. Because you looking at the stars, it reminded me of me on mushrooms, especially the first time. Well, anytime, really. I always go, why don't I look at the sky? It's always there. I never look at it. It's like when we lived in New York. I don't look at these buildings. The mushroom mind, the liberated mind, the meditative mind, even the post-workout protein shake mind is a clear mind. And a clear mind is awake to the wonder that is. But really, it's not so much our fault because our our brain's job is to prioritize what's Mm -hmm. important and what's not important. And these right. practices help turn the volume down on the, right. on the gatekeeper. And, and you can make, I read this thing, you can sort of like put, you know, there's like actual neural pathways on the brain and you can rewire them while you're on mushrooms. 
You could also, I just read this thing that was like, hey, if you want to be more ambidextrous, start brushing your teeth with your non-dominant hand. It'll actually start making new neural pathways in your head. And I'm like, I found that so inspiring. I was like, wow, I have so much access, so much more access to myself than I thought. I'm 42. And at this age, I can learn to be more ambidextrous, which is something that since I was a kid, I had just been like, oh, I got one good hand and I got one bad hand. And that's that's how life is. Right. And then this guy's like, well, actually, you can like train it to like get your get your brain better at it. And I was like, wow, that's that's beautiful. I love that. But you even see that in you getting so fit so late. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you're not 22. You're you're 40. Yeah. Something. Yeah, I'm 42. Yeah, <laughs> 42. I was 40 when I started started doing this, and you know, I realized uh, it it takes a lot. Obviously, it takes determination it is also quite simple. Um, it's, you know what you need to do, right? There's really no no secret to it. You know what you need to do to get in shape. Now there are secrets to how do you not get injured? And there's a lot of science to it as well. I got really obsessed with the science of it. I, I, read, a lot of, I read a lot of like scientific papers and abstracts on, on muscle development and, wow. and fat loss and that kind of stuff. Uh, I just got really like nerdy about it. Um, but, you know, it was, it's, I, I realized it was just, oh, I just have to like, it's really, you just have to kind of do it. There's not really anything more to it. Well, that's why I always think that these things really come down to the will. And, yeah. and I, I, I always mention that Tony Robbins sometimes gets in trouble. I don't know if he's currently in trouble for saying something, but, he, <laughs> and, I, and I concede that he's not a perfect person, but he, he talked about like, really the power is in the decision. And, and, and you need to get good at making decisions. And he actually says, when you quit smoking, you have to like embody, I don't know if he no, uses that language, but like you have to have it in your cells. I'm not, oh, I'm gonna, you know, I'm taking the month off drinking is not the right attitude. You know, I haven't had a drink in, in over two years and it, and it felt the same way. It was just like, and, and it had to do with a lot of research. I read a book called This Naked Mind. I listened to it. I love plugging it because it's helped a lot of people. It just informed me what alcohol was doing, why it was so addictive, all these different things without being preachy. But then that helped me make a very clear black and white decision. So it's not really, I know there's a hike that I go on. I always stop by your house on the way home and I'm always super chatty and happy when I talk to you guys on the way home from my hike. So I know I love it. There's just something missing in the decision when I go like, mm-hmm. I know this is why people are always like they have a heart attack or something. And then they, and then they wake up or, or they, they start. Mm. And the trick seems to be to go like you pre-cancer, pre-stroke, pre all the things that respiratory things that cigarettes can do. You found a way to harness your power and to find the will to me. I'm like, it's about conditioning your will to get as powerful as it can be. And I don't know how you did it. Do you even remember with cigarettes? Do you remember with working out? What made the yes to those decisions more substantive? And by the way, I'm anticipating the answer. I have no idea. So don't feel pressure. I feel, uh, you know, with working out, 
I think getting in this kind of shape, my whole life, I've been preparing to make this decision. I felt like I'd made small, I've been like practicing to say yes to this. So I'd like said yes to it in softer ways for literally, I started going to the gym when I was 15 years old, you know? So for like 25 years, I had sort of been like, and I've, and I've been in decent shape. I've always, I've been like practicing to get to the point, I guess, where I was like, okay, now I know this is just going to happen. But it, 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 it's hard to explain. There was a certain point where I just knew that I was gonna go through all the pain, all the work, and again, I have a position of privilege. I got, you know, I knew I could eat healthy. I knew I, I could had access to a great trainer. I knew I had enough time to do this. So, so this is what I did was I wouldn't have been able to do it if I had like a normal office job. You know, part of this was my job, but, but, but I've had access to this stuff for a long time. It was just, so, I don't know. I just knew, I just knew that I was going to do it. And I knew that I was just going to, it's a it's such a weird thing. I remember specifically the moment when I knew that that was going to happen. Same with cigarettes. I knew when I'd smoked my last cigarette. What was I happening? Can I can I ask a leading question? Yeah. Was it when you started to get a sense that your life was getting better and more exciting? Because I sometimes wonder. For me, look at Tom Segura, right? And I say this with respect. If you look at his first special, he he's he's beefy. Mm. I mean, soft. And then he gets successful and he loses weight. Melissa McCarthy. Um, there's, there's endless examples of people who start getting cues that their life is going to have more, more trips to, you know, Tahiti, that they start going like, well, I want to uh, get in good shape because I want to be alive. So I think there's sort of like a we have to deal with our depression. We have to deal with the dead end feeling in our lives sometimes. Or maybe it's we get in shape to set a standard of like, and this is going to bleed into the dead end feelings in my life. I, I could see it going either way. For me, for, for the getting in shape thing was I had a meeting, you know, I, I had a meeting with the director and the producer of this movie, Eternals, where they were like, we want you to play this character. And I was like, sort of like, so excited, deer and headlights and, and all this. And I was really, really excited. And then a couple months later, I had another meeting with them that was more concrete about like, this is what the character is, this is the specific stuff. Like, and at the end of that meeting, I remember as I was walking out, I was like, oh, okay, I'm going to be in the best shape of my life because this job has been, was such a dream come true for me. I truly feel like, this is the kind of movie that I would have loved as a kid. You know, I, I, I felt in some way I'd been training my entire life to be in this thing. And I was like, I don't want to blow it. I feel like I've put in a lot of reps for all the other stuff, you know, being, being funny in a certain kind of way. Uh, like I, I was like, Oh, I understand this movie. I understand this character. I understand who he is. And 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 he's he's in me. That the, the character of this is like a version of me. I understood all that in that meeting completely, and I was like, the only piece that could hold me back from from not blowing this is 
I have to look a certain way. And they didn't want, they didn't necessarily want me to. They weren't, they weren't like, they were like, you look fine. You don't have to get in any kind of shape. But I was like, again, this was an outside in aesthetic thing. I was like for people to buy for all the work that I've unwittingly done to play this character for people to buy that guy. He has to look a certain way. He has to look a certain way. I just didn't want there to be any reason that people weren't going to like buy this character, that I wasn't going to buy this character. I wanted to feel walking around as this character completely confident in who he was and who I was both inside each other. You know, I knew even if I, I, I wanted to know walking around, even with clothes, that the way he looked is the way that this character would want to look. Mm. Um, <clears throat> You're making me realize that's been a lifelong fantasy. Even when I was uh, in high school, way before show business, I was like, I have to think the best thing in the world would be like, you're going to be in a movie. We need you to get in good shape. And that has always been a fantasy. And it goes back to what we were talking about earlier. It's a story. So like a heart attack is a good story to stop smoking. Like I'm thinking of Todd Glass. Todd Glass had a heart attack. Mm. Todd Glass stopped smoking. A movie is a far less relatable, yes. but it's a, it's a story. Mm-hmm. My daughter, that's why like if I, I, I jokingly pitched you a show that uh, neither of us, <laughs> I, I don't think would either really want to do this or have the time to do this, but it's like a show where you get me in shape and I get you super spiritual. I thought that, <laughs> I thought that would be a good show. Um, but really what I wanted was a reason to get in good shape right. because I have my daughter and like, and to want to be alive and to be able to pick her up is a great story. It's sort of depressing me or making me feel a little bit of sadness that I'm like, I wish that was enough to get me to work out. Can I, can I indulge me with one question because you did all this study? Um, I, was doing very light workouts, right? Very light. You, I don't know if you can see my little weight bench behind me. And oh, have, cool. That's a nice weight bench. That's, is it? That's, yeah, let me see it again. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good quality weight bench. Yeah. Thank you, Amazon. Um, and I just bought some light weights, and I was like, I'm just going to do just some basic stuff. Kumail, I hate this. This is so embarrassing. I got a blood clot in my arm. I don't know if you can see that. It's pretty much gone down. So I got a clot in my arm. I go to the doctor over Zoom and he's like, yeah, you need to take it easy on that arm. And I'm like, for fuck's sake, I'm lifting 16 pound weights a couple times a day. And I was doing these um, face exercises. That's actually what I think it was. Is I, I thought there were tendons that were leading to my arm somehow because I was doing these stretches. They do. Is that what it is? Because- well- I started yeah. doing them again, Kumail, and the blood clot like doubled in size in one day. Yeah. And I just want to say, because I know there are people listening, this isn't just for me, that are like, yeah, I'd love to work out. But when I do, this flares up, this flares up, this injury, that injury. And I just felt so impotent. I was like, I really just wanted to get in, specifically, I wanted to get in face shape. I don't 
if if I have a problem area, I don't like it that it looks like I have a travel pillow around my neck sometimes. So I was like, fuck that shit. I'm going to figure out all the face exercises you can do. Then I get a blood clot and my doctor is literally like, stop whatever you're doing. I know it's that because when I do it, it flares up. Like, did you run into anything like that? What do we do? Well, I had this thing that's interesting. This is, again, maybe this connects back to some of the stuff we've we've talked about. In working with the Marvel trainer, I realized how much the body is is connected to itself, right? So if you're Mm -hmm. like, finger is hurting, it's not really about the finger. He said this thing. He's like, where the pain is happening is not where the problem is. The problem is generally the the opposite place. The pain is happening because this is compensating, overcompensating for where the real problem is. So I had this thing, I had tendonitis. Um, It really, really hurt for like a solid six months while I was working out, uh, right under the thumb on the wrist, right? Whoa. And I'd worked so much to try and loosen it. The problem wasn't here. The problem was in my shoulder. Because what happens is it was tight here, tight here, it tightened this up, it tightened this up. Also, that was where, that was like the last trot. That was the last thing that could tighten. So that's like a train. The, right. Yeah. That's where I was feeling the pain. But the problem was like a couple feet away. So uh-huh. I would say, you know, there's, there's get a foam roller. Uh, look up how to do foam rolling. That's like sort of a self-massage thing you can do. We have one. Yeah. Yeah. Use it wherever it hurts. Yeah. Sort of don't like punish yourself, but wherever it hurts, just sort of work at it, make it feel good. You know, that, that it sort of should feel like a good pain, not a bad pain. Yeah. And then these injuries, you just really, really, really have to listen to your body. Um, an injury doesn't mean that you have to stop doing it. It's not a warning sign. It's not anything. It just could be your body getting used to it. I had a couple of I had a couple of minor injuries during this entire process. And I, uh, because I was working with trainers, I was able to continue working out and understand why those were happening. You really, really have to listen to your body and go at the pace that you want. For me, it was, I had a deadline. So I really wanted to push myself. And I pushed myself really, really hard to the maximum every single session. I did a little bit more than I could last time. You don't have to do that. Do it. Um, I think people do this. I, I, I have so many thoughts about this. So I'm going to be a little <laughs> bit scattered. I feel like when people want to get in shape, they're like, all right, now I'm going to do this. I have friends who would be like, all right, I'm going to go. They will go to CrossFit three times a week for like two weeks and then quit. CrossFit is really fucking hard. You have to find a way to exercise that is sustainable for you, enjoyable for you, and as an experience is adding to your life rather than taking away from it. Right. So mm. I found a way to work out that makes me feel better and that generally I look forward to. Now, some days I don't, but that is pretty rare. Most times I'm excited to work out. And if I'm not excited to work out, that's a sign that day that I shouldn't work out. I have to listen to my body that day. So just find find a way to work out. Don't 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 like don't do outside in in terms of like, okay, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do it a lot. Just Find your pace and then learning to listen to your body in that way is also a skill. You know, you understand what good pain is and you understand what bad pain is. Um, the blood clot, I, I don't know exactly what that is, but if you're doing like those neck exercises, it is conceivable that that's what's causing it because it's, yeah. all, it's all connected. So, so I would say to people who want to start working out, 
start working out, go at your own pace, figure out what you want from it. You know, don't, don't, I feel like sometimes these trainers online that I've looked at are like too much about like, um, they want to push you really, really hard. And that's maybe, that's not what some people want. Some people, some people don't want that kind of workout. So Right. So I, I think yeah. that like, come on, you know, in movies now they say maggot. I feel like when we were kids, they said the, the <laughs> de- derogatory, uh, horrible word, but that, that got replaced. But even in like movie, I'm thinking of like bridesmaids, the, the working out in the park, the guy's going to yell at you. Like that's certainly how comedy people mm. have viewed it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, certainly. But, but it shouldn't be. I had this thing. So I got up. So, you know, when, when I was training here, I met with a bunch of, different trainers and I went with a guy who he's great I'm, I'm very close with him but he was a guy who was to me it was a little intimidating you know and I was like oh I know I'm very good at I've had a trainer before I'm very good at cheating myself out of exercising like I know how to like work the trainer in a way so I wanted a trainer who wouldn't put up with my bullshit right who, who, who had the potential to be a little bit scary that's how I did it and now I have a different philosophy on it Mm. but there was one time early on where I was doing an exercise he was like come on come on come on and then he was like pathetic and I put the weight down and I was kind of like it's it's kind of not gonna be like that (laughs) (laughs) and then it and then it wasn't like that and it (laughs) wasn't like that because I was like I don't want to feel bad when I come here I want to feel good when I come here. I want to feel good doing this. I want this to be something that I look forward to. You're touching on something. My issue isn't working out and my issue isn't sports. My issue is an internal problem with conflict and aggression and anger. And I always see guys get angry, push through it, the the yelling and, and the veins. And to me, that is my drunk parents fighting that is a scary Mm. guy at a baseball game i just don't want it so like you're saying it doesn't have to be it does not (laughs) have to be like that in fact if you're screaming you're letting out energy that you should be using to contract your muscles right um and screaming is a sort of a bad sign it means uh, to me i it means that you're not you're not doing it right i feel like you know i have i have an acting teacher and for me, this sort of journey and being more in touch with my emotions and my body really started with taking acting classes. Mm. And she would be like, she was saying, when I would do a scene, I would sigh. I would do like a breath. I'm like, ah. She's like, when you're doing that, everything in your body, all the emotions, you're letting them out. Mm. She was like, never do that. She was like, never, ever do a breath dump. And I notice it now when I work with actors, when they do a breath dump, their energy changes in a way that um, what you're doing is you're afraid of what you're feeling. So you're like sort of letting it go a little bit where really there is value to keeping that energy, keeping that emotion inside you. Similarly with working out, whatever you're letting out by screaming, there's value in keeping that inside and using that to to uh, connect with your own body and with your own muscle rather than screaming. You know, honestly, I think if you see me working out, it's not, um, it looks hard, but it doesn't look like, it, I think you would tell that I am enjoying it. Um, mm, mm. I think you, 
you, I think you would tell that the pain isn't something that I'm screaming against or trying to get away from. I think you would, I think you would see, I think you would see someone who's having a good time. Yeah. That's great. You don't internally go get mad at it. No, no, not at all. Honestly, when I'm doing the weight, I'm not even thinking about the weight. I'm thinking about my body. So, you know, I, I do, when I do the, the heaviest weight I do, which is the heaviest weight I have, like this is, because now you can't buy anything. Like that bench you got, I bet you can't buy it because in quarantine, everything's sold out. So I have 200 pound dumbbells. That's like the max weight I do. So when I do bench press, I have 100 pounds in each hand. If I'm laying there thinking, I have 100 pounds in each hand. If I drop this on my skull, I could die. You know, mm. I don't think I'm not thinking about the weight at all. I'm thinking about the muscle that I want to work and how I want that to feel. Um, so, so in a way, I'm not mad at the weight at all. I'm not thinking about the weight at all. I'm thinking about myself. Mm. It's so. It's. I mean, I love these conversations that sort of have a theme, you know what I mean? And, and the theme is as it, not often, but it can be on this show because I love talking about it. Mindfulness, presence, yeah. staying, I think that staying the overlap. It. It's interesting because you think of people who like work out as being meatheads and I'm, I'm sure that that stereotype is kind of true, but my approach to it has been honestly very, very close to mindfulness, very, very close to being in touch with my own body, very close to, uh, getting to that sort of empty place, really. Yeah. Uh, and I think part of it is because I sort of started all these things around the same time, started meditating because, you know, I was, uh, so I'd done meditation on and off for a while, but when I was going to do this job, I was like, okay, I really want to enjoy making this movie. It's sort of what you were saying earlier, when we would do stand up, you feel that nerves, right? And you're mm. like, we didn't even know that that, that you could like, have strategies to not feel those nerves. For me, it was more than that. I thought nerves were part of it. I thought if I don't feel nervous, I'm not doing it right. To me, that mm. was like the sense memory of doing stand-up was being scared to do stand-up, right? Mm. And I realized in my acting, as I've been working on Silicon Valley and, and stuff, I realized that the nerves actually hold me back. I am at my best when I'm not feeling anxiety, when I'm not feeling scared, when I'm like completely free and completely like in the moment, right? When I'm completely there. That's when I realized I was like, okay, the nerves, I want to try and lose the nerves. So so for this Marvel movie, I was like, oh, this is obviously a big Big opportunity. It's something I'm very excited about. I really want to enjoy this. I don't want those that fear and those nerves to be part of this process. Uh, on set, rehearsal, I just don't want that to be part of it. And so that's when I started meditating again. And when I was started meditating again was when I was also starting to do these like intense workouts uh, again. So I think, and taking acting classes to be more in touch with my emotions. So I think that's why all three of those things, the meditation, the exercise uh, and the acting all to me feel like sort of one thing. Like I think each makes me better at the other. I hear that. I Rob Lowe just did the podcast and he was saying that all of acting is obviously reacting to your partner. And he's like mm -hmm. a bad actor is somebody that just does it the same way every time. Yes. Ner nerves is what makes us do it the same way every time. A lack mm -hmm. of presence. That's right. 
if you're not being present with the audience, if you're not being present with your scene partner, how can you do anything new? I always think of what Gary Shandling said, his acting teacher taught him, can you be brave enough to actually learn something on camera? Like have your character mm. actually learn something. Yeah. And it's really vulnerable, but that comes from that hollow bamboo place. And I know Gary was really into that, like getting the mind empty. And an yeah. empty mind doesn't have anxiety in it. I mean, that's, that's a paradox. You can't have anxiety in an empty mind. So this idea, you're just really helping me that like we should be anxious, we should be suffering. We even um, artists are supposed to be sad. Artists are supposed to yeah. be uh, malcontent. Uh -huh. We're not supposed to be satisfied. It's like fuck all of that. I really that. hate that so much. I've hated the. You know, I'll still have people be like, you know, comedians are very dark people. They're like really broken people. I. I feel less broken now than ever, but I never felt broken. I never felt like I had darkness in me. I, I had parents that really loved me. I had like a really great childhood. I've, I've led a pretty charmed life. I never felt I was doing stand-up or comedy because there was like darkness I needed to get out. I'm sure yeah. that's true for, for, for people, but it wasn't true for me. And I think this whole idea that suffering is part of creation, uh, I, I find it so, so untrue. Yeah, I know what you mean. It's funny, in my life, I struggle. Like if I go to a party, and it's usually Kumail and Emily's. <laughs> I said it as if you're not Kumail. We'll go to Kumail and Emily's. And sometimes that's difficult for me because I have to remember as I'm going to a social situation, you can get. You, can get. you don't have to just go and give. You can actually get. But with stand-up, I always knew the rules. I, it, it's this... Mm. It's this I'm giving and then I'm receiving and then I'm giving while I'm receiving and they're receiving while they're giving. It, it, was, it was from a place of abundance and yet it was also um, ministering to my feelings of lack. So it was sort of like this hyper social, beautiful, it wasn't from a wound. It was from, you know, I mean, we would be remiss to not reminisce a little bit. I remember <laughs> doing the cubby bear and having to do a lap around the bar, which is a, a city block, because we were so anxious. And I always told you that my, I'm sure I said this last time you did it, which was the first episode, was my first, one of my key memories of you was when you had, you know, you were smoking glasses you know, not glasses like you have now that like fit your face, but just like bad glasses and you needed some grooming, all these things. <laughs> yeah, full unibrow. Meaning I probably needed grooming. Like, you know, like I have these birthmarks on my face. I'm sure they had like weird hairs sticking out of them. We oh. just didn't know how to be people really. <laughs> no, we really didn't. And we you really were smoking didn't. a cigarette and you were smoking it not to enjoy it. You were smoking it because you were so afraid that you needed to do something like the fear wanted to do something which brings me to another memory remember you and i did this roadhouse and i bombed so badly it was a dave odd gig and i bombed so badly that afterwards i bummed a cigarette from you and i said i just died so bad i want a part of my body to die i remember that <laughs> i remember that very very well i remember yeah. that very well you know what it is? I think it's, it's to me, it's feeling something, right? It's like, uh, that's what, in a weird way, 
smoking as awful it, as it is, I could see why for some people it's an affirmative action. It's, it's that, embodied, right? It, it's breathing right. slowly. You feel the smoke in your lungs. Suddenly you have a body, right? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. It's a very, very unhealthy way to, to feel something, but, but I see why people do it. I saw a thing where like somebody had lost like their wife and they were like, and I want to quit smoking. And the therapist was like, do not quit smoking. That's like connecting you. Obviously it's bad, but it's like connecting you to yourself right now. You need that. Mm. Um, to me, I had this feeling like a week ago, right? Where uh, I love, I love food. I love the sensation of food. And I would like, so often I'll just like eat, without feeling it or enjoying it. And I had this thing last week, I was watching something with Emily at night and I was like, I'm gonna eat a bowl of cereal and I'm going to taste and feel every single bite. And it was magical. I was like, oh wow, I have access to this all the time. That's why, you know, we've talked about fancy coffee. That's what I love about coffee, you know. Every morning I like really, really taste it. I really, really enjoy tasting it. Yeah. Um, the ritual of making it too. I told you about my... Yeah, you do your whole thing. Yeah. Fancy. I think they're going to sponsor this episode probably. Whole Latte Love is where I got all the videos and the information on which machine to get. And then I told you about it. And it's not just the coffee. It's like grinding it, making it. And there's a, there's a saying in Zen that if you can make a cup of tea, you can do anything. And that goes back to you lifting weights and that goes back to Mr. Rogers swimming. It's like, and, and Byron Katie says, if you can do the dishes and mm -hmm. stay in the dishes, that's in life. I love it. I love like, it now. I, I, I've gotten really good at making pancakes. So, you know, some mornings I'm like, and it takes a little while. It takes, you know, like 15 minutes or so. Some days I wake up and I'm like, oh, I'm gonna, I want pancakes. And I enjoy the making of pancakes just as much as I enjoy the eating of them. In a way, I enjoy the making of them more because I, I want them to be like perfect. And then sometimes I'm hard on myself when they're not perfect, but, but I'm trying to take that out of it. But I really like, like Emily will sometimes be like, hey, can I have some pancakes? And I get so excited because I'm like, all right, for yeah. 15 minutes, I'm going to do this thing. And then That's I'll have something. Yeah, I, that's how I feel making eggs for Leela. Um, the pro I've gotten so good at it too, and it's a flow state, and it, and it's a yeah. state of presence. And when I make coffee in the morning, I smell it. You know what I mean? It's it's trying yeah. to remember. Oh, I mean, like I deliberately like smelling the roses. I'll smell the beans, and mm. then I grind them, and I smell them again, and 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 you taste in all these things. It's about something that'll drop you in to the that's moment. That's right. No, and, I. Emily said the other day, she's like, you always smell the beans. I'm like, yeah, I, I, it, it's great. Because it smells yeah. different ground up than it does whole than it does when, you, when it's in your cup. But that smoking, it's, it's, it's a, it's, what I'm saying is what's good about smoking that we just said is good about anything. Doing the dishes, Eckhart Tolle always right. smell the soap. You forget that the soap even has a scent. And, and, it's, an, and it's a thing, it's inviting you to come into the moment. It's the same thing I do in the shower. It's like, yeah. can you smell the soap? Can you smell the yeah. shampoo? No, I always it? get, no. I always get like nice, different smelling soap. Like that's like one of my things. Always, always, <laughs> always. And always different, always different. And then in quarantine, cause you know, you, 
you go to like farmer's markets in LA and they always have those soaps. So I'd like ran out of all my fancy soaps and I just, <laughs> I just ordered them and I just got them. And I'm very, very excited to like look at the five different ones and be like, okay, what, what's first? But that's what the commercials used to be. Remember it would, uh, it would usually be for like a female branded shampoo, but it would show them like smelling, opening the mm. bottle and smelling it. So that's sort of marketing genius is because what they're selling is a quality of consciousness that remembers to stop and smell the shampoo. I had this epiphany last time I took a, a microdose of, of something and I was in the bathtub and I was like, sometimes when I'm sober, I'm like, I should buy a big fancy bathtub. I'll take more baths, you know, like it'll be like a, a thing. And it's not, you don't buy a book, you buy the promise of a future where you will be calm and quiet enough to read. You don't buy a tub, you don't actually want a new tub, you want to be quiet and still enough to use the tub you have. And you don't right. need shampoo, just go smell the one you have. But the marketing is saying, like, get this one and you'll slow down and you'll be yeah. aware and you'll be alive and you'll be present. That's right. Just be present with what you have. Some so my Draper shit, yeah, it is. And my dinky, dirty, way too small for me tub is fine if I'm free. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. It's not the tub; it's you. Always. Yeah, that's yeah. that's 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 totally. I feel, uh, no, I, I, I try and get that. So I'm always like sort of chasing that thing of being in the moment. I have it, you know with Emily, with my cat, with eating, with cooking, with working out, uh, with movies, um, with movies and TV shows, it's a little bit harder now because you're always sort of analyzing to see like, oh, now that's, okay, so now we're going into act two. Oh, okay, so now they, oh, they did that. Okay, well, that's going to happen. And Emily's so good at it. She's like, oh, this, 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 this is going to happen. And it does happen. And I enjoy that too. Yeah. And video games are one place where I really feel I can really, if it's good, I can really immerse myself and truly be in the moment and enjoy enjoy this world I'm in. And I know video games kind of get a bad rep. I know we're both fans of them. But but I really, really, I think video games have been so beneficial for me. And I have a, I feel like it's one thing that I really genuinely have a very healthy relationship with and have had for the last 10, 15 years or so. I really love them. Do you still not play if the sun's up? Yeah, I still don't play if the sun's up. On the weekends we do, on Saturday and Sunday, because now the world's sort of gone away, so... I, yeah, we're playing the new Mario game, uh, uh, Paper Mario. Emily and I play it together. Uh huh. It's really fun, you know. It's like a very pleasant game to play, and the the puzzles are just hard enough. Yeah. That you feel a sense of satisfaction, but you don't feel frustrated. And we're gonna go to Zelda right after this. I was just gonna it. say that's that's exactly what I would say about Breath of the Wild. I tried to do a, a YouTube and Google free, but the game is so long that it wasn't that I, this is maybe my pride speaking, it wasn't that I couldn't figure the puzzle out. It's that I was like, I don't care. Like, this one is at, at a certain point, it's taking more than it's giving you. Yeah, it's taking too much time. And I'm like, I know yeah. I could hang out in this temple for That's nine right. years. It's a video game. Video game should be a blowjob. It shouldn't be a 69. <laughs> You're here for me. <laughs> I'm not here for you. <laughs> this is a one-way thing. But dude... 
I think mindfulness, maybe people will laugh, can be learned by playing video games. I, I maybe yeah. said this on an episode of The Indoor Kids, but I was playing Bioshock Infinite and I was shooting all these bad guys. And then I looked to my left and there was this glorious sunset that I just wasn't looking at. Yeah. And I, and I tried this on stage. It never used to work, but I was like, great. Now there's two sunsets every day that I'm not appreciating. <laughs> or I was just hauling ass down a hall in a castle and I didn't look at the painting on the wall. Mm-hmm. There was a painting on the wall. So mm-hmm. especially in immersive games like that, mm-hmm. you can be mindful. And this is, might be sound like a stretch, but you can also be spiritual because a good video game, I was just watching this on High Score on Netflix. They said, oh, I never, love it. You're never alone when you're playing a video game because the game designer is always there with you, nudging you for feedback and trying to guide you certain places. And I was like, that is the spiritual practice of the world is for me. It, it's not against me. It's for That's me. Right. It's not happening to me. So in a video game, you're wondering what was the designer the God or the consciousness that made the thing thinking, intending, am I going with the flow? Am I going against it? Am I trying to glitch it? Am I trying to hack it? Or am I trying to embody my purpose and my best self? It's, it's, it's the same thing. And also when you look at pixels, molecules, atoms are pixels. We're in a video game, instead of pixels, it's atoms. Everything in a video game yeah. is a pixel. Everything in this video game is an atom. It's the same. There's a hint there. And in Mario Brothers, you literally take mushrooms to wake up to that reality. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. You get bigger and smaller at the same time. Yeah. No, I, I, I completely agree. I completely agree about video games. I think they get such a bad rap. And, uh, you know, I, I've been watching, we, we watched all of High Score. I thought it was so beautiful. And I really like hearing from these designers, especially the Japanese designers. They're, yeah. The way they approach um, game design, I just haven't had access to those conversations before. You know, like I've heard a lot of writers talk about writing movies or directors talk about making movies and, and all that. But game designers, I think they're such geniuses. And the way that they talk about like the fun game loop or have you gotten to the Star Fox episode yet? No, I'm on, okay. um, I'm on Mortal Kombat. Ah, yeah, that was great too. I mean, it's, it's so, you know, all the thought that goes into it, like they, they talk in Mortal Kombat, how like he used to go to these bathhouses. So he was like, oh, I'll use that. And yeah. really taking inspiration from real life. I just thought it was really beautiful, really, really inspiring. The other game that I just got that I haven't played that you also told me about is The Witcher. It's really, Witcher 3 is great. Yeah. Is it great? I loved it. I, I read some reviews that were like, well, let me put it this way. I was worried that the making potions and, and, and making your own weapons and stuff would be not fun, like too RPG-y for me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, the only gripe I have about that game, it's, it's really a, a perfect game, is that at a certain point, like with Zelda, there's just too much dialogue. There's just certain missions where you're like, fucking shut the fuck Stop up talking yeah yeah it, it's it's almost like it's too excellent it's like there's no side quest where it's not like my name's mcgee and i'm yeah, from yeah, McGee. Yeah. and it's like all right mcgee yeah. like you're just mashing the skip button um 
there's this there's a mission in Witcher that I think about constantly constantly I don't there's no spoiler here but you have to do something uh deplorable to trick a monster a shame monster to latch on to you instead of its host and wow. and and I was like this is it's greco-roman it's it's like yeah shame is like a monster it, or you know in the bible it was a demon like these the 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 way that your brain we've seen it we have friends that get possessed by their neuroses and I'm convinced that in biblical times people would just call that a demon possession but it's a real thing and so is shame following you like a monster yeah and, have you seen uh, uh, Big Mouth yeah yeah isn't that doesn't that have a shame monster in it, it does yeah. yeah the shame monster was was the genius move in the second season. Yeah, I, and this and this sort of ties me into the God discussion. Forgive me for being somewhat leading, but I was like, my understanding has been things like shame, things like uh, even your hormones. That, that's another genius, you know, anthropomorphizing sort of like we're going to give it a body. That is what we did with an unknowable thing. So forgive me, I, I'm sort of right. leading you into something that I feel like you can agree with, but. It's, it's sort of what I do. I, I enjoy these conversations. But it's like God or the mystery or the pulse of the universe, just the, the pulse of this. I'm not talking about heaven somewhere else, hell somewhere else, and this being like a, a test. I'm talking about this, the universe, the right. solar system, has an origin, has a forget, – forget even like where it came from. Right now, it's, it's animated. I am being animated, and the cells in me – are animated and they have their own life and their own lawfulness and the atoms and the molecules and the quarks and all of that stuff down to all these different levels has a yearning to it. It, it life wants to be life wants to exist. Uh, it wants to die. It wants to be reborn. It wants to churn and cycle and spin. So that I am saying is an unknowable phenomenon but just like understanding shame or any emotion or understanding um, the importance of selfless giving, uh, meaning Santa Claus mm. is a great way for children to understand that the best gifts in life are unseen and given for no reason that you didn't earn. It's, it's learning grace. It's learning that invisible matters. It's learning that you're already receiving something in every breath. That's what Santa Claus is. We turned it into something like, oh, he's not fucking real. And I'm like, yeah, a lot of not real things are super, super real and important. So with, with all of that, I'm wondering, do you, in your life, are you finding value as, as I see you, not circling back, but, but looking again at, at spiritual language? Are you finding any value in going like, hey, maybe this or that wasn't untrue or a lie. Maybe it was just a way of understanding the ununderstandable. I haven't really thought about it like that. I really sort of look at every, all of this stuff as in some ways it's selfish in that I just want life to be, I want to minimize the bad. I want to maximize the good. Um, I want to make my relationships with my friends and people and my work and Emily, I want them to benefit me and I want them to benefit those people. 
And the things that I find difficult about my life, such as the overthinking and the anxiety and um, the fear, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna minimize that. And so, what are I? I think of even all of this as almost like coping strategies, which is like, what can I do to feel more present, to feel more happy, to feel more satisfied, to feel more giving? Um, how can I look at the world in a way that will allow me to be the version of myself that I think is going to be? I don't even know if it's pleasurable, but that'll make my life more fulfilling uh, and make me focus more on the positive than the negative and, and, and allow me to surrender and allow me to, you know, that thing, the, the, I don't know where it's from, but like to just control has been a big issue for me and letting go of control, understanding what I can change, what I can't change and being okay with that equation. So so I'm just trying to look at the world in a way that ultimately is going to be, is going to help me in all those ways. Help me to be a better actor, a better writer, a better comedian, a better husband, a better friend, uh, a better, just a, just, just a, just a better person. I've, I've certainly, you know, in the past, Focus so much. I've been very impatient. I've been very, very scared. Uh, and I just don't want to have those things as much anymore. And so I don't necessarily think of this, you know, even it's interesting, even listening to Ramdas, I was looking at, I wasn't, I didn't think of it as spirituality. Maybe we just define those words differently. I'm sure that's what it is. But I didn't even think of it as spirituality. I thought of it as just, a way of going through the world and looking at the world that just makes it make more sense. Um, mm. And mm. makes it, makes it better really makes, makes, you know, I have this thing where most nights when I'm going to bed, I'm really, I get like, sometimes I get upset because I love being awake so much. <laughs> Every time when I wake up in the morning, I'm like, really excited for the day and that's a new thing you know that has not been it's not that i woke up and dreaded it i just woke up and was just awake instead of being like okay it's 8 a.m and i have this whole day what's gonna happen what are we gonna do and i think trying to look at look at look at the world in a in this new kind of way or being aware of different things being intentional about different things listening to ramdas and 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 taking some of his lessons or trying to at least has made it so that every morning when I wake up, I feel genuinely excited. Um, and to me, that's, that's sort of the goal. I just, I, I want to wake up every day and be happy that I'm awake. Mm, that's so beautiful. Kumail. I'm so happy. <laughs> you know, there's, there's parts of me, you know, it's interesting. I keep thinking about like, I went, vegan i am a terrible vegan I, i'd like to be a better vegan but like i had ice cream last night so i am not a, a a poster child for veganism i am a poster child for like trying to be vegan if you of want course. to make it I, make it I like completely agree <laughs> less it, daunting to try like come on i'm trying every day <laughs> it is obviously as someone who is not a vegetarian or a vegan it is morally ethically certainly the better option 
Yeah. Uh, and and I, physically, I, possibly, yeah. Yeah, yeah, in every way, in every way. I, I truly believe that you can be vegan and extremely, extremely healthy. So I, that is something that I, that I want to do and, uh, you know, I will do. The reason but I, I mention it... Oh, sorry. I haven't had that moment yet where like the quitting smoking moment or the getting in shape moment. I haven't had that with vegetarianism and veganism yet, but it will happen. It's interesting, man. My my impulse there is to be like, you got to go slow. Like you can only be better than us in so many ways. (laughs) It's like, I'm like, please keep eating some uh, dairy at least so we don't feel too intimidated by you. Um, But I started doing it because it made me feel good. So that's like a selfish reason. And then all these other things start mm, happening. Right, right, right. And and I hear you even saying you wanted to get in shape because you wanted to look good. And then this embodiment thing and this clarity yeah. of your mind. And when yeah. we're in touch with our body, you know, I'm not, I don't know much about the chakras, but like people know about the mm. body being in alignment and that if affecting mm-hmm. the, the other elements of being alive. Definitely. So then like I wanted but I'm not going to, to be like, well, Kumail, what do you make of it when Ramdas says something like this or this or this, which is like overtly spiritual, but like that sort of inquiry or questioning is only going to dampen the beautiful thing that it's doing for you. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Let's not split hairs. I, I'm so touched and happy that you're enjoying it. And, and your philosophy of wanting to be, this is what I kept thinking when you were talking in flow. It's an yes, that's right. You want to be in flow and the feedback, if your work is chunky, if your relationships mm. are staticky, if you're feeling in the morning is just a little, just a tilted picture frame that you just have to feel. Yeah. That's a reference to Kumail um, 10 years, 20 years ago. Wow. <laughs> I know I what, what ignominy about. Ignominy, which means shame, by the way, the ignominy oh, monster. No, it all comes together. Wow. Wow. But, well, speaking, speaking of serendipities, I think what they are is just an exaggerated clue of am I in flow? Is my yeah. life flowing? And when things aren't in flow, seeing that, like you said about muscle pain, it's not a problem. It doesn't mean stop. It means you, you have something to push through. And you don't even know what the problem is. You think you're mad at the t- wait for your table, yeah, like, but you're really mad yeah. at whatever. What did you eat last night? Exactly. Yeah. Ask yourself what you had for dinner last night. Yeah. We, don't, we don't even know what we're mad about. But the All best the time. Do, the best well, we can then, do. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. I was just saying the best we can do is the best we can do and just do that. Yeah. I think, I think I, I am so aware now, most times when I say so aware, I'm comparing myself to how I was not comparing myself to like hundred percent awareness. It'll happen where like, I'll see something, you know, this is something I still, I, I, some days I look at the news too much. I shouldn't do that, but it'll happen to me where I'll look at something in the news. It'll upset me. And then Emily will do something and I will perceive that as some sort of microaggression towards me. And I'll like sort of get into a little bit of an argument with her. And then she's like, I'm not doing that. Are you perceiving it as that? And then I realize, like, again, it's a little bit too late, but I'm like, oh, what happened was I read this thing. I didn't like it. That was stewing inside me. 
I redirected it to this other thing. I'm so aware of of how often that can happen oh that um, it's it's a it's 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 a big like you know intentionality. Just uh, I think that's a big 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 part of that's one of the big lessons I've learned in this in this whole time is like finding what makes you a better husband, what makes you feel better, what makes you not feel better. Same with food. You know, we stopped eating refined sugar and now every now and then we'll be like, okay, let's have refined sugar. And you realize what it's doing to you. Um, mm. You realize how much what you eat can affect you. I never was aware of that. Tell me, it, it makes you depressed. It makes you anxious. What does it do? <laughs> Yeah, it's energy. It's for me, you know, so much of all this stuff is energy. Generally, if I have high energy, I'm I'm happy, I'm excited, I'm in a good mood. And when I'm low energy, it's the opposite. And with sugar, uh, the biggest effect for me is I feel cloudy uh, and I feel dull and I feel down. Um, it's yeah. energy. Certainly what, 100%. Yeah. Just eat it right before bed. That's what I do. Um <laughs> Um, oh, you just said something and it made me think of something I really wanted to say to you. You were talking, what were we talking about? Um, news upsetting me. Oh, that's what it was. Thank you. If you watch a story and I'm speaking for myself of Trump taking advantage of somebody, right? Which he's often doing. He's, he's taking advantage of a marginalized group. He's suppressing, he's repressing it just like nasty, to use his language, nasty, nasty stuff. But it really is nasty. You can't, I can't carry with me the message. If you are open, loving, gentle, kind, a bully or a monster or a bad person is going to take advantage of you. So I realized what I, w- I was trying to do, I was like, why am I so hard on people that I perceive as simple, right? So I I was just talking to a friend of mine and um, she just kept asking questions that that seemed too basic for me for some reason. I, I, I said to Val later, we were laughing about it. I was like, this woman doesn't even know that she should be guarding herself. Uh, <laughs> like, like, what if they think I'm stupid, which is what I'm doing all the time. I'm like, oh, I'd like to ask that question, but I'm at least going to find an intelligent way to ask it so I don't mm-hmm. look weak. And then I was like, why? And Kumail, I did the digging and I went all the way back to seventh, sixth grade where I had a friend, I'm putting that in quotes, who took advantage of me. He, it was the worst mm. that I had in my life. He was my friend, but because I was sort of like basic and gentle and sweet, it ended up with him handcuffing me. He had handcuffs for some reason. And <laughs> I know you're, you're right to laugh. It also sounds vaguely sexual, but he handcuffed me so I couldn't fight back. But I also put the handcuffs on because I was a sweetie and he yeah. was these are trick handcuffs and, and they come off. I'll show you the trick. And, I, and I, he puts them on me. Now I'm handcuffed. Now he's shooting me in the face with a BB gun. Whoa. So Kumail, I say that Ugh. because that is still informing how I see people who were sweet. So if I can go all the way, time travel all the way back to that, that's when Pete learned the very powerful lesson, always be in control 
always know what's going on, know every angle, be like Jason Bourne, understand every way that if you, if someone says something, I know the 15 ways they could mean it because if you don't, you will be handcuffed and shot in the face. But that's not true for everybody. This woman wasn't handcuffed. She wasn't shot with a gun in the face. She, and so she didn't get that exaggerated and not, in, not even true lesson. So if, if I can do that time traveling, how much more so when I read my Facebook feed and I see Trump uh, has exploited or suppressed or whatever, I, next time I see Valerie, my Emily, the love of my life, the gentlest, most for me sunflower of a person I've ever known, she could hand me a cup of coffee and I'll think, Oh, you think I don't have enough energy? Like, right. you, you think I'm an idiot? Exactly. Like, isn't that what we're saying? I mean, it's, yeah. it's like we have no. stories. It's like, it's like putting a slide. We're a beam of light. And when we read those stories, and I'm not saying we have to dig our heads and put them in sand, but that it's putting a slide between your light and reality. And then the light is now going through the slide. Yeah. And, and you can only see evil Trump and Trump is evil and a baby is being born at this very moment. And a mother is crying with joy and someone is holding their hand of a beloved loved one as they pass. And they're feeling so blissful and content because of a great, of a life well lived and two friends that have been friends for 20 years are connecting and finding a space of love and growing and evolving and sharing things. These are, these are all happening we need to find a consciousness that's big enough for both heaven and hell. It's, it's tricky. It's very tricky. I mean, that's something that I think about a lot. How do you stay informed while, and, and act while still keeping a sense of mental well-being? You know, it's, it's, it's hard. It's hard. Like, I, I thought about this. Um, two things. I, don't have it, I just want to say, I don't have it figured out. As soon as, no. I, as, soon as I said that, no, I was like, female, I'm out of my depth. I know very hard. Ramdas talks about it a lot better than I can. It's 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 complicated, you know. I in this time, I sort of was like, okay, obviously a lot of injustice happening, and there are two things you could do: you either fight against the negative, or you fight for the positive. And I was like, well, as um, sorry to say it in a grosser, but like as a artist, as a writer, as someone who puts out stuff um, that people see and are and ideally are affected by what is my role in that and I and I realize for me I think my fight would be fighting for the positive for the positive rather than fighting against the ne- negative and I think fighting against the negative is an extremely important fight. Like that's a very, very important fight. And people are very, very good at it. Some of my favorite artists make stuff that is cynical and angry and very, very valid and very, very useful and very, very beautiful. But I don't think that's my role. I think my role is the other equally important part. Um, and so that took some pressure off me to, um, you know, feel like you obviously want to do something good in this moment. And so I feel that that's, that that's been, that's been a good epiphany for me. I'm not, I'm not just not generally. Yeah. What were you going to say? Sorry. 
I, I, I think I know what you're saying. It, it's, it's, it's not everybody is called to, um, there's a great national lyric where he says, I don't have the balls to punch a Nazi, right? It's like not everybody is necessarily called to That's that right. exact thing. In fact, I don't want to get into the complications of right of of that of the idea of whatever. I, I I'm out of my depth on that, but it's it goes back a little bit to what you were saying. First of all, I don't think you can say this, or maybe you feel you can't say this. Little America is a gorgeous move in the direction of positive. When I see the impact that uh, a show like Transparent can have in my own heart um, with with trans people, not just you know being okay with it, but opening up and expanding and, and loving and, and empathizing and sympathizing, and, and it was so sad, obviously, um, when Chadwick and, and, and Black Panther what what yeah. that what that yeah. does the not just saying. Black people can be uh, superheroes as well, but seeing it. It was in high score. The, I believe it was 94, mm, the yeah. first year that Madden had black players in the video yeah. game. That shit matters so much. So in yeah. that spirit, Little America, specifically the episode about the, the African cowboy, basically, for yeah. lack of another way to say it. And, and, and the gay man from, uh, I Syria. forget, Yes, Syrian. the Syrian, the true story. These things matter. It sort of goes back to my love of story and my love of metaphor to understand these really heart-spacey, difficult things to get at, like compassion and empathy and understanding. So I want to say that Little America is a huge step in that direction because dreams, collective mythologies are dreams we're all having at the same time. And those things do make a difference. Going back to the, the difficult conversation we were just having too, is that it's a little bit like you were saying when you're acting and you're clear, uh, it's, it's, it's the best it can be. And when I'm doing stand-up or acting and I'm not anxious and I'm not afraid. Um, so when we read a terrible news story to ha- go, I'm not saying don't feel the heartbreak. Of course, I feel the outrage. I feel the heartbreak. I'm devastated as we all are. It seems like every day, pow, just another heart-wrenching. Right. When it comes to the action, and this is just a question. I don't think I can figure this out in this conversation, but I've heard Ramdas talking about a similar idea. When we're acting, when we're protesting, that space of clarity that, that sort of even transcends like a lot of the big, uh, maybe even debilitating emotions, the action can be even better, the more open and, and the more clear it can be. That, that, that's all I can really, that's yeah. I can get. I think, I mean, you know, like you said, it's, it's very difficult. And for me, practically the balance is, um, just obviously you want to be informed, but balancing that with, being in a good space mentally uh that's the challenge um you know i I, when we were at ohio i wasn't really online very much you know yeah uh just because emily and i were we were just like very very relaxed we actually like got so lazy you know like sometimes you like allow yourself to be tired and i think that's what that was um (laughs) 
I, people will be like, oh my God, you didn't, a couple of days later, they'll be like, oh my God, you didn't hear about this? And I'm like, no, I didn't. And it kind of didn't really matter. Like that specific event didn't really matter. Like it kind of goes away. And I'm not talking about, you know, something awful. Like you were talking about the, um, the, uh, the, the, the person getting murdered. I was talking about like some other small political thing. that happened. Right, right. Um, you know, generally... It's like, you know what's going on, you know what you can do, you know what you cannot do. And then at some point, there has to be a little bit, I think, of, as awful as this sounds, of just like, you control what you can, you do the best you can, you do the work. We donate, we're in a position where we can donate, so we donate. We hopefully make more art like Little America that can bring some more positivity and understanding in an hour perspective to the world. And then beyond that, I think there's a certain point after that where it just starts to really hurt you and wear on you and grate on you. And I think that's the balance I'm trying to find. Well, that that's in the Tao Te Ching. It, over and over, it says, do your work and let it go. That's yeah, the, that's, that's right. That's the only way to that's do it. That's what it is. Do the and work I, and let it go. And I don't know if I can put a cap on all of this, but I love this story. I believe it's a Zen story. Forgive me if it's the wrong tradition, but it's a guy uh, was like a samurai basically. So I guess it's not Zen. Maybe it is. Was going to murder the man who the other samurai that killed his master. And um, so he was a very spiritual person, meditated, got very centered, got his sword and went to where he knew the guy that killed his master was. And he opens the door the the guy who killed his master is sitting on the floor. So he's he's got him, you know, not just dead to rights. He, he can just kill him. So he takes his sword out. And the guy who killed his master, at that moment, the other guy has his sword up, spits in his face. And, and the samurai lowers his sword. Why does he lower his sword? Because he got angry. Mm-hmm. And he knew that he didn't want to do this act, an act that he considered a sacred act and a holy act. He didn't want to do it from an angry place. So I just want to say it ties into the way you lift weights. You're not thinking about the weight. The weight is the tool. The, the, our life, when I call my parents, that's the tool. The karma of all these terrible things, it, it, it can be viewed as this is the resistance we're working with. And there is a way to do righteous, beautiful, important things from a centered place. Do you have to? Man, we'll take all the help we can get. I'm not telling telling anybody to not help if they can't do it calmly. But I do know that in the 60s and 70s when Ram Dass would um, protest uh, the bomb, like these were the big issues at the time, nuclear weapons, they always did it from a spacious light filled place where they, they tried to have love for their yeah. oppressor. This is compassion. One Oh one, the Dalai Lama, we need him more than ever because for his whole life, he's been saying, when you look at a, 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 you know, I don't people, I don't use it, but people say like Trumpers, you know what I mean? He's like, these are human beings that have beliefs and needs and stories that led them to this place. It's like, how liberal can you be with your compassion for another human being? And can you act from that place? When you're sitting across from somebody, instead of going, you are this, you're a red hat guy and you're from this country, so you're this, this, and this. Can you find a spaciousness and a quality of heart? And is that more effective? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, it's something actually Emily is really, really good at. And I think it comes from from her just being an incredibly empathetic person. But I also think uh, her therapist training helps her here, too. I think she really can look at that in everyone. I, I, I certainly have trouble with that. You know, sometimes I just see the outward signs and I see an antagonist and she sees a human being who's going through their own their own struggles and have gotten here because somebody handcuffed them and shot shot BB yeah. gun in their face, you know, That's what, right. whatever it is. Uh, everybody, so everybody has a BB in the face. Everybody, everybody and, has and a BB in the way face. Way worse and way yeah. worse. Yeah. And Emily, Emily is really, really, really good at that all the time. And it is infuriating. <laughs> yeah. That's her veganism. Really yeah. 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 No, I hear that, man. I just, I, it's my own practice when I see the, the, the Trump flag with the, with the purple stripe or whatever to not, to not give in the brain wants to. It, yeah. it, it's like a sort of the way that we categorize. It's the mother of racism. It's the mother of bigotry. It's the mother of all these different hateful things. And it's weird when you see people going, no, I, I want you to think of me this way. I want you to be mad. Like that, that's like a new thing. Yeah. The first time I saw a MAGA, a MAGA hat on a plane, I was like, it was right when he won. And I was like, you know what you're doing. And it yeah. was like a shock. And then totally. I was like, he's only doing it if I let it be done to me. Or I can go, hey, as I always say, my mother, she's not a Trump Republican, but she's a Republican. I was a registered Republican. I know what it's like to be a single issue voter um, with abortion. You know yeah. what I'm saying? So like, it's, it's heavy work. But I wonder, as we always joke, as the only Brown in town, that was a joke we used to make. But as a Brown person, if it might be a little bit more of an uphill battle for you to be like, you're asking me to not do what so many have done to me, seeing seeing a brown person. Honestly, for me, it comes down to my mom and how my mom feels about it and how unsafe and scared and sad she feels um, Mm. through no fault of her own and how her relationship to America has changed in the last few years. You know, they moved here after me. And for my parents, it was such a wonderful place. You know, Pakistan can be a difficult place for many reasons. And they were just so happy. My dad was doing great in his career. They have a nice house. They have a good group of friends. Like my mom was truly, truly so happy to be here. And in the last few years, she's been like, well, we already left. She was like, we should never have come. Where will we go next? We, we left Pakistan where will we go next and just how upset it makes her mm. uh to me that's the that's what makes me respond in anger rather than rather than understanding um i find that i find that very very hard to i wish i could take that away from her and and uh and i hope it i hope i hope she has something to feel good about in the next mm. couple months me too me too <sighs> I, it, oh but he, here's the beautiful thing about compassion and it's tricky, man. It's even tricky talking about compassion for closed minded, violent, ugly seeming people. You get it too. Everybody gets it. So when you're like, Hey, it's hard for me 
to be patient when my mother talk about handcuffs and BBs. These are archetypes. These are images. These are powerful people in our lives. It's a heart, My heart is breaking now with that. It's, it's, a, it's, it's devastating. Well, let's do the best we can. <laughs> I don't know why I laugh. I guess I laugh. Sometimes it's sad, so we laugh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this was great, Pete. I'm glad we did this. Yeah, I hope I didn't take you to too heavy of a place just then. No, no, no. This was great. This was great. I, you know what I'm going to do now? I'm going to... I have to read some stuff. I'm going to work out. I won't listen to Ram Dass today because I'm going to be doing some reading. I'm going to work out. It'll be great. I'll I'll make myself a healthy burrito for lunch, and then I have to take bagel to the vets. So oh wow, I'm excited. I'm excited for the rest of my day. Little kitty mask, um, yeah. <laughs> Camille. We didn't we didn't do this when you did it. Do you know the time you laughed the hardest in your life? It's the last. You question. know. This is interesting. Couple of things. I was talking to Vivek last night, right? Uh, you you know Vivek, of course. And him and his wife Katie are huge fans of your podcast. So oh, sweet. I, I I mentioned I was going to do your podcast, and he reminded me of a thing where him and I we were a, so we went to Grinnell together. Vivek's an old college friend of mine, and he's from India. I'm from Pakistan, and there was an early on in Grinnell they had this like trip for international students like they would do these sort of things where they would sort of teach you about american culture and just just a little bit of american history that kind of they would have these outings and we went to a place called the amana colonies in iowa which is sort of like not as intense as amish but it's sort of an old-timey thing right and they make like butter and furniture they're lovely people i had i was miserable there i was like i cannot handle it and all day we would have these conferences and these you would just sort of sit there with international students from other schools and everybody's taking it very seriously and i was bored out of my mind and i remember me and vivek were sitting together two things happened this person came and the speaker came in and was like what it's the universal language. What is the one thing that every human being, since they're a baby, understands? And the guy raised his hand and said, English? Oh. <laughs> and he, was like, he was like, well, I was thinking of love. I meant love. And we laughed so hard. We couldn't stop laughing. We could, and everybody could see it because we were kind of close to the front. And there was... At one point, that same guy said, we finally stopped laughing. And then the guy said, I forget what the word was, but he said like a really long word. Me and Vivek looked at each other and we laughed so hard. It was so hard to stop laughing. <laughs> other time, and it made me think of this other time where I was a kid on Sundays, you would go to like Islamic school. And again, I just found it. I was like, now I have to go to school six days a week. And Islamic school was in a normal, like a like a primary school. And on Sundays, it would become an Islamic school. So when you're there, you're surrounded by posters of like whatever class that is the rest of the time, right? So this class was happening in like for, it was like for little kids. It was like first or second grade. And I was probably in like seventh or eighth grade, right? And uh, the teacher was not Pakistani. He was Irani. And so to me, this is awful. This is mean. He just was like a lovely guy, but one of those sort of like clueless guys a little bit, just like a little bit guileless, just a 
and he like spoke differently from us. So we just there was just something. I just thought that this guy was kind of a goober, you know. That's Did I word. say this is Mulaney's bit about substitute teachers with their blue wrist cast? Like, yeah. is it adult to think it's funny that someone has a blue wrist cast? No, but when you're a kid. You can't get over the fact that someone talks a little bit different, looks a little bit different. Right. It's Absolutely. all that stuff. So green light, it's okay. You were a kid. <laughs> so we're sitting there and we're doing an exam of taking a test. You know, he's got and he's just sitting in front. And there's a poster. It's all kid stuff. So there's a poster with two big drawings of bees. And it says, buzz, exclamation, buzz, exclamation, buzz, exclamation, buzz, exclamation. And as I'm doing the test, I hear him say, he's saying, he's just looking around and he reads it to himself really, really softly so that only I heard. I was close to him. He's just sitting there and he just looks around and he reads it and he goes, buzzy, buzzy. (laughs) He thought the exclamations were eyes. And I laughed so hard. I thought it was the funniest thing. I had ever heard in my goddamn life. <laughs> trying to do this Islamic test while this guy just like, <laughs> I just, I had tears running down my face. Oh my There's nobody else in the world that understands why I'm laughing, why this is so funny. Nobody else heard. That's essential. That's what makes it so funny. Oh my just God. for you. Do you think there's a chance he thought it was B-U-Z is buzz and then the other Z, like buzzy, buzzy? No, he thought it was, he said buzzy, buzzy. He thought that the exclamation <laughs> was an eye. It said buzz, buzz. I mean, there's a drawing of a B there. So many clues. Where do bees do? They don't say buzzy. So they, many clues. He's just like buzzy, buzzy. <laughs> It was so serious, so to himself. Oh my God, I'll never forget it. Oh my God, that is priceless. Oh, Thank yeah. you, Kuvail. This was awesome, Thank man. Thank you, Didi. Please try to do Val and Leela for me. Her, I will. Her, her pose is so adorable. I think about it every day. I, I, that gif I made of her posing is my favorite It's so thing. good. It's so good. Please use it in your life. Um, I love you. I'm so happy for you. I'm so pleased we're friends. It's, it's almost, it's been 20 years. Almost. Yeah. Almost. Crazy. I love you, Pete. One, my God. So great. We were just, just do really quick. You know, we, we sometimes will text each other people that we don't know anymore that we started stand up comedy with. And yeah, just feel remember like, this person. Yeah. Yeah. It's a real gift that we, that we still get to be friends this many years later. I know. And, and remember all of the colorful characters and the, and the stories. It's, it's some real dark people, some and real genuinely you're like, Oh, that's, I don't want to judge, but stay away from that person. There's yeah. this darkness there. It's sort of like a looking back, how did we not see that? Like yeah. we, you and I have lived through so many different iterations of reality. And there were times when like certain kinds of people were just like crazy Eddie, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like, you mean monster Eddie? <laughs> like yeah, that's not exactly. an okay thing. No, no. Like, yeah, the, People should stay away from that guy. I mean, you had that. Like, I mean, we're done. But I just remember, remember when people would ask you to do a poo. It's like we've grown. Oh I hope. my god! 
We've yeah. gotten more evolved. But at that time, Kumail, it's not so weird that he said, would you say thank you, come again, which is just fucked up. But it's what was even worse was that you and I thought it was bad, but it wasn't like so bad that we couldn't right. believe it. We did the show. We still did the show. It was his yeah. show. Yeah. And, and, I, and we didn't go like, what? We were just kind yeah. of like, yeah, huh. it's the early 2000s. <laughs> that kind of sucks. Yeah. Oh, my God. I remember exactly what, what show you're talking about. Me too. And that's yeah. when I thought the most notable, th- I used to call you Well Done Burgers because I didn't yeah. know you that well. It's that's like right. on The Office where Ed Helms calls uh, Krasinski Big Tuna. I call you <laughs> Well Done Burgers because I thought that was interesting. All right, man. Go, go have your day. Love to you. And Emily. All right, love you, Bye-bye. Bye. See you, pal. My G9 money shoes ain't fifty. I'm so crispy. I'm so crispy. My ice game make you haters wanna get me.